welcome to episode 350 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and you might know notice that it is cold and flu season here on the east coast of North America. So my, my dulcet tones might be slightly different than usual, but I am super excited to be sharing our 350th episode with you. And for our multiple 50 episodes, we always try to do something a little special, and uh, we are doing exactly that for you today. But before we go into explaining it, let's introduce the rest of the panel, starting with Wes Island. Hey, everybody. And Mike Salvato. Hello, I am here. And Zach Wilkerson. Hello. And to make it a triumphant return to Retro Encounter, Alana Hayes. Hello. Oh, it's so great to hear from all four of you, uh, Wes, Mike, Zach, Alana. We are gathered here today to have not exactly a quiz show episode, because, I mean, if, if there's a, one of many things you know about me, it's that I love quiz shows. But that uh, doesn't mean just quiz shows where you keep score and there's winners and losers. I also like quiz shows that are just more about the experience. We're talking about panel shows like uh in the uk you have news quizzes like have i got news for you and uh fact quizzes like quite interesting um the Amer- the only american panel show like i know of that stripe that i know of is wait wait don't tell me but they do a pretty good job as well uh but i am sort of borrowing that format to a degree uh not to write a bunch of quiz questions although i have done that as well but more just to get some interesting discussion out of this uh uh, out of episode 350. I have written a dozen questions, and which will hopefully lead to 12 interesting discussions. Um, the questions aren't necessarily fact-based. They're, they're, sometimes they're more like observations or shower thoughts. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm definitely not going to keep score. But uh, yeah, I have 12 questions, and I uh, am eager to share them with you. Uh, so what do you... Uh, what do you say? Should we just get started, or do you want to talk about UK panel shows some more? I'll say, let's <laughs> I'm up for whatever. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I could do both, but we should all dive right. in. I was going to say, so, let's go. Okay, well, uh, first of all, that this isn't one of the 12, but Stephen Fry or Sandy Tolksvig? <sighs> Stephen Fry. Yeah, I, lo- I love both of them. It, it's but, a hard one. It's a hard yeah, it's one. a really hard one. They both did and do such a good job. Um I think Stephen Fry will always be QI to me, and and Sally Toxvik's done so many other things, but she's such a great panelist when she's on it as well. Yeah, she was like one of the best panelists when oh, Fry always. was the host, Fry. and then she's just an excellent host in her own right. Yeah, yeah. I love Stephen Fry, but if he needed a replacement, Sandy Toxvik was the right choice. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> you can't go wrong. And uh, for the record, my, my favorite panelist other than those two is probably Phil Jupitus. But, uh, but there's, <laughs> yeah, but there's, yeah you, you sort of get to know the uh, the UK like presenter and comedian circle if you watch a lot of QI. You certainly do. All right. But let's uh, go to these questions now. I, I have tw- 12 categories here and I will read them quickly uh, once and then we'll have you select them one by one. We'll get to all 12. But just to mix around the order and have a little fun with it, we'll let you choose uh, in just the order that I have uh, in my um, chat window right now. So the 12 categories are Massive, Konami, Survey, Blade, Space, Super Nintendo, Monster, Map, Podcast, Falcom, Soul, and Switzerland. Uh, the last one's maybe the 
oddest of the bunch, but trust me, all 12 of those get sort of odd and go in unexpected place. So, uh, Wes, because you're just first on my list here, which question would you like first? I think we need to go somewhere that is yet uncorrupted by capitalism. Space. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Space. Now, this question involves Mass Effect. What do... What do Final Fantasy VI and Mass Effect Two have in common? Oh my God! Just throw out your answers. We're not. No one's buzzing in. If you have an idea, say it. They're you both lose RPGs. Half your parts. Uh, uh, correct, Zach, but not what I'm looking for. What did, you, what did you say? You lose half your party if you're not careful. No, but oh, you're on the right track. Yeah, people can characters can permanently die if you do things, make certain choices. That is also true, but not exactly what I'm looking for. But you oh. are right. You are right in that it's about the characters. In that zone, the characters are good. <laughs> also, <laughs> also correct. Um, I'm, I'm looking for a verb and a number, if possible, if that helps. Wow. <laughs> Oh, this is so unfair. 14. Are there 14 characters? That's correct. Both char- both games <laughs> yeah. have 14 playable yeah. characters and oh my goodness. and and most of, and most of the yeah. story is recruiting all 14. Mm-hmm. Um because uh, in the second half of Final Fantasy 6, you start with just one and you have to recruit the other thir- up to 13 to join your party permanently. And in Mass Effect 2, you start out as a shepherd long believed dead and you have to recruit the ultimate team for the ultimate hu- for the ultimate mission. It's uh, I think it's sort of amazing that you have a 90s classic and a modern classic in FF6 and Mass Effect 2. I'm not going to accept opinions to the contrary, sorry. <laughs> and both of them have the weird coincidence <laughs> about being about character recruitment and having 14 of them, even though in Mass Effect you can, in 2 you can only have uh, 13 at once because Morinth is a special gal, let's say. Uh, <laughs> Wes knows where I'm coming from. Yes. <laughs> but... Uh, <clears throat> So what do you, what do we think about that? I think that uh, both of those games have really strong casts, in part because they seem unusually large, but have like unusually good attention to all of them. I don't think there's a weak link in the entire FF6 cast, even though Umaro has like four lines of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I was yes, sitting here trying to figure out unique. if there was a Yeti in each one. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was the connection. Well, I mean, Grunt is the closest. If there were Yetis in the Mass Effect universe, they would be the Krogan. Yes. Okay, so there is another connection. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, I mean, I mean, all of us have played Final Fantasy VI, and I think some of us have played Mass Effect II. Uh, I mean, isn't it more fun when, like, you get character, you get characters joining your party as quest rewards and 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 like the more you play the game the more you get out of the characters that i really feel like those two games are similar in that regard each one's impressive in how it manages such a ridiculously large cast and actually lets you use everyone in some way shape or form throughout the game yeah, yeah you've got those loyalty that's... quests in mass effect and you've got multi-party split dungeons in ff6 both of which force you to use characters you might not always use those loyal when I first played the the loyalty missions in Mass Effect Two, it would have been uh, twenty eleven I think. Um, I I wanted them in every kind of game in like every RPG. It, mm-hmm. it was like it, like just character specific quests with distinct rewards 
and a lot of good dialogue and having you feel closer to the cast as a result. I just, I just love them. And we will talk about them in detail in a few weeks when we have our Mass Effect 2 episode. Yeah, I can't think of a lot of games. I haven't played Mass Effect 2, but you continually are selling it. Um, I can't think of a lot of games that do that. I mean, like the last two Xenoblade games both had like character specific quests that worked really well. And I feel like even though Final Fantasy VI doesn't have that, like it it feels that way. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's one of the things that allows both of them to work um, so effectively, I'm guessing, at least in terms of Mass Effect 2. I mean, I mean, that's basically true. But FF6 does have a recruitment arc for every character in the second half of the game. And and for some of them also the first half of the game. Right. And then each character has something to do after you recruit them, mm-hmm. whether it's Gao meeting his father or Strago fighting Hydon or uh, like, like, like realm learning about her heritage. Like there's yeah. stuff with Locke is really good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Locke in the mm-hmm. Phoenix cave is excellent. Yeah. Um, there, there's, I think that there is a connection in recruitment and, and character mm-hmm. driven, quests between ff6 and mass effect 2 but again that's one that's less a fact and more just an observation that i had while i (laughs) while i was playing a lot of mass effect in 2022 that that was a a more timely than usual question that's i was just saying it's a good one i didn't realize i never would have thought of that connection so i i don't know mass effect 2 i just know final fantasy 6 but i think it's important too that to have a cast that big and everyone actually even though you don't have to use everyone outside of certain things like Everyone's there, like for a reason. Like, none of them are throwaway characters. Which some some RPGs do have bigger casts, and then but some of them do nothing. Like they don't have development or any reason to be. <laughs> Run across anyone? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Forty-five characters in that one, which is uh, uh, maybe a little too rich for my blood. But anyway, hey, there's a lot of pathos in that skeleton clown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he, it, it's my it's my second favorite RPG clown named Skelly. In fact, hey. <laughs> All right, uh, but uh, thank you very much for uh, exploring some Mass Effect Two with me, uh, Zach. You're next on the list. Which uh, category would you like to try next? Mm, let's go. Speaking of games with large character, large character casts, Konami. Konami. Oh, you thought this might be a Suikoden question, but maybe not. <laughs> I know. Oh, well. <laughs> what was the first Konami project that Metal Gear creator Hideo Kojima and, Ca- <laughs> and Castlevania director Koji Igarashi worked on it together? Oh, uh, it's Tokibeki Memorial. It sure is. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yep, this is something uh, I know. Uh, we've talked about it at length multiple times, but it's oh, just one of those wonderful have. coincidences. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, no idea. Koji Igarashi was a programmer on the PS1 and Saturn versions of the first Tokimeki Memorial, and Koji, I'm sorry, and uh, Hideo Kojima did not work on the original version, but he did do script writing for the drama CDs of that game uh, before Metal Gear Solid came out. So yes, they were in <laughs> before Lords of Shadow happened. Uh, Metal, uh, Kojima and Igarashi worked on Konami's '90s student dating sim. Um, which has me ask the question, um, how about them dating Sims? Because I don't know about you guys, but uh, like I've seen over the years more dating Sim elements enter JRPGs in particular, like maybe Persona most obviously. But also I went from like not knowing what an Otome game is to seeing like three Otome games come out every year. It seems like it's uh, like the dating Sim genre used to be such a niche that it was considered almost weird or deviant. And now they're everywhere, and some of them are really, really good. 
I, mean, I feel like there's like three Atome games a week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. It's like Nikki and Audra are always like reviewing them. I'm like, oh, there's another Otome game. Yeah. Um, which is great. Yeah. When we did the Hakuoki episodes of Retro Encounter last year, um, I think uh, Nikki and Audra were both on those episodes. Um, like, like when I was editing the episode and doing some background Googling of Hakuoki. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't realize there was like eight versions of it that all mostly tell the same story, but remade or expanded. And it's, it, it, it's like, I, I didn't realize just how deep the Hakuoki rabbit hole went. And it's not just that case for, for Hakuoki. Like there's a bunch of the most popular dating sim games that have really dedicated fan bases and multiple versions across multiple consoles. It's, it's, the the world of otome games is broader and deeper than i ever thought it was and i only know that because you know i i uh i work at an rpg website sometimes and and hear about these otome games a lot which also makes me think i need to get off my ass and play one of these for real sometime Mm -hmm. Uh, but but i do have a copy of code realized for ps4 ready to go at a moment's notice Okay, so at least you have a starting place, because if yes. you didn't, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Don't be surprised if that's a Retro Encounter episode <laughs> sometime next year when I get around to playing it. Uh, have Have any of the four of you played more Otome games than I have? Have any recommendations for me? I've played the exact number that you have. I was going to say, I've only really played one on two, and... Well, I've only ever done them for review or just out of curiosity, um, and I might even be the wrong person to ask, but like... Well, they always stand out for some of the more troubling reasons more often than not. Like, um, I think I reviewed Amnesia Memories back when it came out as a PSV again. And I just want to say, like, the PSV era is where, like, the Atome really started to, like, pop out. And then, like, since the Switch, like, that's where I see, like, for a week. I'm like, mm-hmm. hang on. Like, what's this? Like, even if it's just, like, a small indie one or anything like that. Um, Amnesia is good, but it's got, like, a few troubling yeah, relationships. No, I- isn't that the one that's mostly gaslighting yep okay good (laughs) yeah um but yeah um i've heard the drama cd that came out recently or the um additional episode is actually pretty good um but yeah i wouldn't really know where to start and i'm one of these people who kind of has problems with some of the dating elements they try and stick into rpgs nowadays because it just sometimes seems to override a lot of different things and also again latches onto some of the more troublesome tropes i think with um relationships in video games and i know uh, like persona is persona is mostly good about this the teacher notwithstanding because i hate that whole relationship i hate it um but persona 5 um and yeah i i i feel like more often than not and maybe this is just me with my cold steel tired jaded with relationship systems just like <laughs> i'm way more interested in canon relationships than rpgs and so many of them don't commit to one and let it be free reign for you that i'm sort of more like eh, just 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 give it to just give me give me give me what you want give me your vision i don't care about what i think unless you're wrong like that's all i care about <laughs> Yeah, it's a little weird because I I love romance and RPGs ten times out of ten, but but when there's a dating system, sometimes it's like they're treating their characters more like vending machines where you put time mm. in and then love comes out. Um, but the uh, but like if they use it just to give you know some player directed lots of one on one dialogue with that's not necessarily romantic because yeah. again there's only a couple romance routes. In, in the in the persona games mm-hmm. like a lot of the time that's pretty good but 
I, I, I don't know. Like, like I, I think maybe if um, RPGs that had dating in them were less preoccupied with it, I, I would like that more. I'm really giving a hard side eye to Fire Emblem here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But 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 in general, like I, I just think it's interesting that dating sim and RPG have crossed over so clearly uh, mm. many uh, many times in the past. Oh, I don't know, fifteen years, or, or probably if you want to go back to like Thousand Arms, more like twenty years. Um, oh my god! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Shout out to Neil, uh, number one Thousand Arm fans. He uh, he has he has the main character of Thousand Arms as an avatar a lot of the time. Uh, but anyway, uh, we we are not doing a retro encounter episode on Thousand Arms anytime soon. Um, Alana, uh, pick another category from the list. Oh, okay. Um, since it's looking at me, survey feels like a strange one, so let's get that one off. Okay, now this is one of the more ultra-specific ones. Um, I was looking up, uh, like, top ten RPG uh, polls done by uh, Japanese um, readers or of, of, uh, of you know, magazines and websites, and the earliest one I found was in 2005 by Famitsu. And I, I, I think I, I vaguely remembered reading this at the time when I was, I was, I would have been like end of high school, beginning of college. And the top 10 was entirely RPGs, yeah. except for one game. It was, uh, it was four Final Fantasy games. Uh, FF10 was number one overall. Mm-hmm. Three Dragon Quest games. Um, the original Tactics Ogre. Um, one Zelda game, Ocarina of Time. And one visual novel rounding off the top 10. So in 2005... What was the most popular Japanese visual novel at the time? Oh my god! Based on this 2005 survey, how old is Steins Gate actually? Steins Gate came out a couple years later, and when I looked up Mm. later polls on uh, the best visual novels collected by Famitsu, Steins Gate was number one, and this game was still in the top five. Oh. Mm. I have a couple of thoughts, but I want to see if anyone else has got any ideas. I like how we snuck into visual novels twice in a row. I know. Yeah, Yeah, whoops. You you found the two visual novel questions. Congratulations. (laughs) Both of them. Did it come out in English? It did not come out in English, which is part of why I'm fascinated by this game. Like, why haven't I been able to play it yet? It hasn't come out in English. It is not Princess Maker. It has not come out in English. But here's another hint. Its sequel has. Oh, shoot. I know I'm going to know the name. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I know. I have a feeling that all of us have probably heard this name around before. But Are there fate games kicking around here? Do those count? Uh, fate stay uh, night, fate whatever. It probably yeah. would. It probably would count. I think that is before two thousand five, but it's not the right answer. Ah, oh, shame. Man, before you said it was something that hadn't come out in English, I was gonna say it was something right, like Clanad. Or uh, it's, it's not that. It's one. not. Yeah. Um, you get one last hint. Uh, it was on the Sega Saturn. Oh God! No, I... have we already said it? No, we have not. Uh, I'll just give it to you. It's Machi. Uh, Ma- Machi is a um, a cult hit Saturn visual novel where uh, you- you're given a map of Shibuya, which is a-, a-, a district of a trendy district of downtown Tokyo, and you choose basically different places to visit at certain times, and you overhear uh, w- w- with with full vocal performances people talking in conversation at those places and you try to uncover and solve a mystery um like by by just exploring shibuya and listening to different people talk it had a spiritual sequel many years mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. called uh 428 shibuya mm-hmm. scramble 
Yeah, oh. the minute, the minute oh. you started saying it was about listening to people, um, people describe 428 Shibuya Scrabble as a um, sound novel, and I was yes. like, oh, yeah, this is what you're talking about. Machi's sort of the original sound novel. I didn't yeah. know there was a game before that. Yeah, and, yeah. and it had a, but the way it was presented, it almost feels like an FMV game without the video, because you are just yes. encountering, uh, encountering, encountering canned <laughs> dialogue, and just trying to get things from the dialogue. It, it, it's, I guess it sort of reminds me of... Uh, uh, games like her story or telling lives because it is a dialogue puzzle of sorts and the, as when i first heard about this game years ago and and was aware of it being really popular i was a little fascinated by it there are uh, somewhat crude english translations out there with the japanese dialogue intact but uh if it had if it had a real release in english i would definitely check it out but i i have not checked it out on my own so uh has anyone here at least played 428? Because that, that's a game that I got on sale years ago, but haven't touched. Oh, I adore that game. That's one of my all-time favorites. If Really? Oh, yeah. It's it's a fantastic visual novel. You'll recognize a few of the people in it. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is a Solosi actor-heavy game. Oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> what what yeah. does that mean? Oh, oh, that okay. means, oh, that means tokusatsu that means, actors. Lots yeah, of tokusatsu that, actors. That definitely means Kamen Rider actors. I gotcha. Okay. It does. <laughs> yeah. Now Aww. I have to look at that cast much more closely, but uh, but um, in that in that visual novel poll uh, in the early 2010s that I mentioned, um, the top five were uh, Steins Gate number one, then I think 428 Shibuya Scramble was number two, and the last three were Machi, the first Danganronpa, and the first Ace Attorney. Uh, so huh. those those were the ones that the fans paid the uh, paid attention to the more, most by the early 2010s. Um, but uh, if you want to look uh, look at more Japanese polls. Um, the, there was a very recent one at the end of 2021 that was the largest uh, uh, poll of its kind taken in history. It was done by um, a Japanese TV station um, and had over 50,000 respondents, so about, about as deep a sample size as you can get. And uh, Breath of the Wild was number one overall, and mm-hmm. Machi did not show up in the entire 100. So Aww. Japanese uh, game polls, they get a little weird. You don't need to put a lot of stock in them. But they're fun to read and report on because, like, I mean, whenever a, a poll of a some news organization shows up, I mean, I mean, I, I know RPG fan has shared them before, so they're, they're at least in, of interest to us sometimes. But uh, I have a poll for you. Uh, Mike, what is the next category you want to hear? Hmm. I'm going to pick Super Nintendo because I'm predictable like that. All right. Well, I lied a little bit. This isn't isn't exactly about the Super Nintendo. Oh, no. It's about the Super Famicom. What was the last Super Famicom game released as a physical cartridge? It is an RPG, and it had music in an episode of Rhythm Encounter earlier this year. Trials of Mana? No. I think it's there's one of two. I don't know what the right answer is. <laughs> I'm gonna go look at the episode of Rhythm Is Encounter. It, was was it Tales of Fantasia? Nope. The, the, that um, that was all. That was a little bit of a late one. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Trials of Mana was '95, and tra- and Tales of Fantasia was '96. But this game had its uh, physical cartridge release in 2000. Oh, it's a Fire Emblem game. It sure is. It's Fire Emblem. 
It's yeah. a Thracia? emblem, Thracia seven. It was Thracia. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, it's a farm. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the, crazy, the craziest thing about uh, the release of Thracia seven seven six is that uh, it had a digital release before its cartridge release. Um, and it, it came out on a cartridge in January two thousand, but in nineteen ninety nine, it was on a special uh, uh, super Super Famicom device called, and I'm not kidding, a Nintendo Power. <laughs> which is different from the magazine beautiful but the nintendo power in japan was basically a a, a cartridge with that had something similar to flash memory on it where you could go to a physical store put in your nintendo power pay a small amount and download special games onto it it had a a, a couple puzzle games a couple rpgs um, a, a bunch of Nintendo Picross games were available for the Nintendo Power cartridge, but uh, Fire Emblem Thracia Seven Seven Six was one of the games for the Nintendo Power. But it was popular enough, and there was demand enough to have it get a very late physical release on Super Famicom. So that was the last Super Famicom game released on cartridge, January two thousand. That sounds a little bit insane by today's standards, because I mean, of course, now we would just use the internet to for downloadable games, but. Physical media, downloaded games. I want to know where each of our stances on our, is on this because it's a really hot topic for some people. Uh, I don't know how much you engage with, like I don't know, uh, video game forums nowadays or or discords, including RPG fans on Discord. But some people care so strongly about a phys- about uh, physical media that they will only buy in physical media, and some people love the convenience of de- of downloadable things so much that they'll be like me and have a completely unsustainable library across three or four platforms worth of video games, and they'll never play all of them. <laughs> so uh, physical media versus download media. Um, nowadays, say 2022 and beyond, are you more likely to get something physical or downloaded if it's a new game that you're interested in? It, it really depends on the platform for me because I tend to do it on PlayStation because, well, actually, it almost doesn't matter because they're do physical because, like, they still take up storage space and I'm always running out of space. Um, on Switch, I almost do all digital because I'm like, well, what if I want this with me? And I don't want to carry cartridges around. So it really depends. So, But since I play a lot of Switch, I guess I lean more towards digital these days. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a game that I like, really, really want a physical copy of. But that's that's where I am these days. Because I don't want to keep storing these things on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am um, I'm not really a collector, but I do like to have things. I'm surrounded by far, far too many books and movies right now. Um, so I, I tend to buy physical. Like, I prefer physical unless there's just, like, a much better deal on something digitally. And then at that point, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll buy it digitally. But I guess for me, I just I like to have it. I like to be able to look at it. I like to know that no one's going to be able to take it from me. Uh, so I generally prefer physical, but it's not like that big a deal for me at this point. Yeah, I, I tend to go digital just for the space concerns. I got a big old family. I don't need the chance of those getting damaged. And the big thing for me is the fact that it used to be, you know, physical was good because, you know, there, there was no way to get rid of it. You If you had the game, you had the game. Nowadays with like, day zero patches and and all of the updates that come along there's a decent chance the physical game you get isn't going to be beatable if it's uh you know or or be playable uh if you don't have that day zero patch so if they take it off the store you might as well be 
out of luck anyways uh yeah with the physical so i think it's it's good for collectors collectors still get a lot of value out of physical but i can't do that anymore <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah um space is an issue for me too i live in like a tiny little apartment um and yeah it, it really similarly to mike like it kind of depends on the developer or the publisher like if it's something like xenoblade or most nintendo first party games or like final fantasy 16 i'm gonna go out and get the box because that's a game i want but like say it's like i don't know similar to Zack, I suppose, if it's a really good deal, or it's an indie RPG, or it's something else that I just want, and it's either not been released physically, or the physical edition is limited edition only, like limited run games or something, then I'm like, I don't need to sit in a queue and like buy an extra box for my shelf. Like, I, I, I'm not like fussy about it, pretty much. Like, I've grown up and lost a lot of physical media in my life just because of trying to make back money and things like that. I make it sound really bad, but like just through like needing to sell things to make space or to make money and things like that. So I've never really had the time to get attached to things, but I do feel a bit weird, like being in the industry and everyone's like, Oh, I've still got my NES. And I'm like, mm, no, I don't. <laughs> and it's like, I don't have any of my old, the oldest console I have is, a ps2 and it, i have a gamecube that i bought on day one it's still the same one from like 21 years ago or 20 years ago um but yeah i'm really not like fussed about collecting or physical media unless i really really want something um but it's also the fact that like nowadays physical media for old stuff is so expensive as well like if i, I like i want a copy of say paper mario the thousand year door I've got to shell out like 80 bucks for it or whatever. It's like, it's pretty discouraging. So like, even for historical re-releases in that, as much as I'd rather have the box, if you're going to do it digitally, please, you know, I'll do it. Take it that way. Because I'd rather have the game than have the box, if that makes sense. So yeah, but I also don't know whether this like digital, digital revolution, for lack of a better term, is actually affecting like physical media prices or anything like that um i know that's like a totally separate argument but also like i think that also influences my decision to like skip out on like limited editions physical editions or like oh have you ever played metroid prime 3 oh it's you can only get it for a hundred pounds and i'm like <laughs> yeah no until they release it digitally or re-release it no right right <laughs> I'm a little bit in the middle of this uh, because I, for a while I did value d uh, physical media a lot, especially since I have that collector instinct in me, but it, I increasingly am valuing the lack of clutter and the convenience of digital over physical. And like Alana, I care much more about having the game available to me than having it in uh, in a physical form. And uh, I, I'm really past my days of getting collector's editions anymore, because if you want to talk about, just physical media um, taking up a lot of space. It's, it's the collector boxes that really take up the most. So uh, I, I, I still get most things physically um, if it's a new game that I know I want because I, I you know, I, I have enough space that it's not insane for me to put something else on the shelf or something in a case and then the, and then it's boxed in, in, a, in another box in my basement. But I, I'm fine with if, if digital is the best option or if something's on sale digitally and not physically. And uh, but I would feel better about it if 
the big game companies made their catalogs more available digitally. Like, mm-hmm. I like I would like I mean games like Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door. You like you should be able to get that on Switch for thirty dollars, right? Like or or less than thirty dollars. I just right. I just, made, I just, I just <laughs> Nintendo are going to give it to you at fifty dollars, and they're not going to give it to you for any less. <laughs> That's correct. It, it, but if Nintendo came out with like a Paper Mario Thousand Year Door Super Paper Mario Collection on Switch, I would I would blow eighty on that probably because like these catalogs are valuable and and uh, and they're starting to become like impossible to find. Uh, so I, I I really value game preservation. And so I and for that reason I don't want to abandon physical media, but I think that the game companies could do a better job of making their digital libraries more available and more comprehensive, and then mm. that's that I think is what's most important. Just like make games that people want to play available for people to play, and they aren't uh, quite a hundred percent where I wish they were on that front. No, right? I agree with that, especially like Sony recently with um the PS Plus tiers like. How many classic games have they released on that top tier? Like, not many. And in Europe in particular, they're all like the 50 hertz versions. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, I think there is room for improvement there because right. they, they, these tiers are pretty new. But uh, but but still, I would like to see that library fill out in a major way. Mm, yeah, me too. But like, I think it's interesting, like, really quickly going back to like the uh, Nintendo Power, the digital thing, like <laughs> with the Satellaview as well, like... That's right, Japan yeah. have had multiple different ways to play games digitally for a lot longer than we have. Um, so it's interesting that we didn't like jump onto that as quickly. Um, and now it's like pretty much the prevalent predominant way um, of like buying games. Although physical media is still pretty popular. Um, and one of the things I always find really interesting on my like end is like Nintendo don't publish their digital sales figures um so it's really hard to like gauge a game's popularity sometimes because they've you see like their physical media and it's like this far up sales charts or whatever and you're like huh and then there's like an asterisk and it's like there's no digital sales on this and i'm like why are you not including that like it feels yeah yeah no they um publish them on like their quarterly reports but not but it's yeah like for their individual weekly or monthlies no you have to go on the eShop chart to see, but you can't tell how much it's sold. So there's just a weird, like, other end of the scale kind of thing. Like, yeah. how Nintendo are also, like, a little bit backwards with this in particular. So, yeah. Well, all right. I, um, thank you for that discussion on physical versus di- uh, digital media. I, that dis- that topic can get pretty heated in certain corners of the internet, but I'm glad we we're all able to, you know, have a nice civilized discussion about it. But let's move on to one another civilized discussion. Back to the top of the order again. Uh, Wes, pick another category from the list. I think I got to be the one to pick Switzerland. <laughs> I'm, I'm too curious. I can't wait for it anymore. <laughs> That question is not quite as exciting as you were hoping, I fear. But uh, but I got to say Switzerland on an RPG you, podcast. So. You sure did. <laughs> I don't. D- does Switzerland have much of a an indie dev scene? I really, I really don't know about that. <sighs> not really. I don't um, think. Apologies to any Swiss game developers if you are. Um, please shout about your games. Uh, I would love to hear about Swiss developed games, but th- that's not the topic of this question. All right. <clears throat> Why is the 16th century Swiss philosopher and doctor? Paracelsus important to RPGs. Enjoy everybody. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. I feel like I should know this. <laughs> it, 
if you if you uh, just throw out some ideas and I'll, I'll give hints because you know I love giving hints and I love writing quiz questions. So bring it. I don't even know where to start with this. Um, I, I'll, 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 your first hint is that uh, Paracelsus was also a pioneering alchemist. Was he searching for ways to attack and dethrone God? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, and I wish that was part of the historical record somewhere. Um, like we're talking like potions here, um, chemistry, Not potions. Uh, in general, uh, came up with the word cure or heal. I don't know. No, um, but you're not uh, a million miles away. Like, like, uh, cure and heal are both spells a lot of the time, right? Yeah, that's true. Discovery oh, the Phoenix Star magic. Oh, black magic. Yeah. No. Uh, but no. What is something that you can often ascribe to spells or things in RPGs? Elements. Elemental. Yeah. Oh, right. Uh, this is now you're in the right ballpark. Uh, now, uh, the idea of the cardinal elements is way predates Paracelsus. So that, that goes yeah. back to ancient Greek times or even way earlier. Um, but uh, Paracelsus did have an idea about about elementals or elements that is very very rpg i'm just sort of the idea of weaknesses and strengths uh, against other ones uh-huh. no um did, did he invent the weapon triangle <laughs> no no oh you're, you're you're gonna be so annoyed when you when you hear the answer but uh uh, should I come up with the four with the uh, this is going to give the answer away. Should I come up with the four words that he came up with or that that he adapted from folklore? Talking like fire, ice, wind. What are we talking here? We're talking <laughs> sylph, undying, oh! and salamander. Oh! Because Paracelsus's theory was that the four cardinal elements were were uh, governed by invisible spirits. Oh, he came up. He came up. He came up with elemental spirits and or personifications of elements or elementals. And uh, salamander, undying, gnome, sylph are used in the Mana series and the Tales of series, um, mm-hmm. which were taken right from uh, his works. And we probably wouldn't have the idea of elemental summons or elemental spirits without paracelsus yeah the discussion here is uh did you catch these recent ff16 trailers like yes a a lot of them are extremely about summoning and and elemental summons and uh i mean we mentioned uh i mentioned tales of and mana earlier i just think elemental summons and spirits are cool and when games revolve around them or features them heavily. I usually like it a lot. Like I, I love Final Fantasy Summoners, for example, and just I mean I even like the Elemental Army in uh, in Heroes of Might and Magic Three. But uh, so, what are our thoughts on Elemental Summons, Elemental Spirits? Uh, do, how, what do we think of Final Fantasy Sixteen featuring featuring them so heavily? What, what you got? I, I was just gonna say I can't imagine anyone. I don't understand how someone can watch that trailer for Final Fantasy Sixteen and not be super hyped unless you are like the dyed in the wool i want my turn based back kind of person like this these the summons and like these giant kaiju fights like it looks incredible it looks so fun um so i like summons too um i, I think back to like final fantasy 7 and how much i enjoyed those at the time not so much now but just because those cutscenes are so long but I, I think that they're i mean like they're like one of my favorite parts about rpgs right i mean how excited was were you when like 
you summon knights of the round and you got like a minute and a half cutscene for the first time you did so much damage and now i'm just like well i'll just go make a cup of coffee right now while it's doing it like that's the thing but yeah like summons are like probably one of my favorite elements of rpgs um i'm always a little bit sad at series that don't feature them but they obviously make sense like trails doesn't really have elemental as like um associations with spirits um um but tales does final fantasy does actually star ocean doesn't either um i'm trying to think of other ones that do plenty of them do basically mana does as well um and they just add a little bit of personality to those elements and to the game really um i think tales probably does them the best although i think my favorite iterations of summons ever is probably final fantasy 10 um i think that the whole summon summon system in that game is really brilliant um and the way that it's incorporated into the plot is really brilliant and because you really kind of get to know those summons and of course you can name all the aeons as well so there's like a real attachment to it as well there's a reason for that which i won't you know it's a 21 year old game but i won't say why um but yeah i think they're always really fun and i love how what's one of i think in final fantasy in particular like it's really cool to see how they've changed over time as well so like seeing shiva in final fantasy 3 for the first time to seeing shiva in final fantasy 16 is like the coolest thing ever and like to jump off of what zach said like if you watch that trailer and you're not excited, like I feel like if you if you want turn-based Final Fantasy and you watch that trailer, you're like, yeah, I'm surprised that punching another summon in the face as a summon does not override that like disappointment of it's not turn-based. It's like, but you can punch if you can punch Garuda in the face, like as Ifrit. Come on. <laughs> I, I mean, I, like like Shiva, Ifrit, and Bahamut are so indelible to Final Fantasy. And, like, summons are always big, powerful, dramatic, flashy, so many adjectives I could say about them. But, like, like the, my very first RPG was Final Fantasy IV. And I remember, like, mm. every time you would find a new summon, it felt, like spe- it felt special because summons were, like, the biggest, coolest spells in the game. And, uh, and, and I, I think that's why I like elemental summons and, and spirits in a lot of games is because... They always feel it feels like getting a new spell or a new weapon, but with but with like, you know, an element of of fantasy that is that isn't really in other kinds of media. You know what I mean? Like 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 summoning elemental spirits is such a video game thing that I, I don't I, I mean, I, I can hardly think of it happening somewhere else besides, you know, related media like a tabletop RPG. Right. Um, but it's uh yeah, I, I think that summons are just dope, and I I gotta thank uh, Paracelsus for perhaps planting the first seed of that. <laughs> yeah, I I like them especially when they're when they're actually like really relevant. Like I also started with the Final Fantasy four, and you know in that game, like you meet them and you talk to them, and like they're actually really part of the story, especially as they relate to one of the characters, and like going to Final Fantasy six later. As much as I love six, it's it's very different in six some of them are part of the plot and some you just like pick up and then final fantasy 7 does that too and but when they're when they're really like part of the game and in the story and their actual characters i just think that's really cool like so that's one of the things that i'm excited about with 16 and actually i mean even 15 did that i mean we don't need to get into 15 but like they were really a vital part of that world 
so they actually felt like they mattered unlike some of the characters um so hmm. I, yeah. I recently played final fantasy 13 for the first time and the summons in that game aren't exactly <laughs> important to the plot no but, uh, uh and they're sort of weird in their execution but i gotta admit that the the first couple cutscenes with them are really really cool <laughs> those yeah. summon animations are really incredible still yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I again, I, play, I I was aware of them before playing it over the summer, but I definitely really experienced them like in front of my eyes in game for the first time, and I, they they were they were so cool that I wish there were more of them or that they were more part of the plot. But it looks like that FF sixteen is really making summons and summoners and elemental spirits very important, and that's exciting to me. Yeah, I agree. Fifteen is weird though, because like you can only summon some of them in certain situations and it's like you're making them out to be really important and certain ones are important but also the most important ones you never get to summon for That's plot true. reasons yeah. <laughs> gameplay wise not as helpful but yeah. narratively they're interesting yeah yeah 14 also does it really interestingly as well like the oh, um, yeah. uh, the uh oh my god what the? I just played this yesterday. The primals. Like, primals. Thank you. Gotcha. Um, the primals are an interesting interpretation, but also like the summoner class, which is like a really strange way of doing it. Like initially, like you could only summon like these like icon versions, and when you hit seventy, you can summon this like mini Bahama, but it's pretty big Bahama, and it's like oh, now I feel like a real summoner. And then you hit eighty, and it's like oh, now I can summon a phoenix. And now it's when you hit ninety, you can actually summon. Ifrit, Garuda, and Titan, and like they feels like that that like the excitement from that alone, without retooling that job as much as they did, is also very cool. Like, it really taps into like oh, everybody loves summoning summons, and now you can finally do it when you hit level ninety. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's a little weird. Um, in FF fourteen, I mean, uh, I think maybe all four of you have played FF fourteen more than I have, but the uh, but like the early going of Summoner really feels like you're casting. Like ruin and dam and 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 poison spells with a little spirit floating next to you, but then they really started buying more into the fantasy of summoning Bahamut and Phoenix in the later levels, and and I, I think probably for the best because now summoners are about big and cool summons and less about you know keeping up your DOTs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> that's enough about Swiss sixteenth uh, uh, century philosophers. Uh, it is your turn, Zach, to pick another category. I'm going to have to go podcast. And this is probably not surprising, but this question is about Retro Encounter. What is the most downloaded Retro Encounter episode? With the understanding that our uh, our current um our our current client for Retro Encounter has only really been counting for the past two and a half years or so. So this is so this is not, uh, it's not going to be anything before 2020. I'm gonna guess uh, top ten PS1 RPGs. Is that that is that is incorrect? But you are so so close. <laughs> so top ten SNES RPGs then, <laughs> or maybe the, PS2. It's the PS2 one. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! It's top ten oh, PS2 awesome. RPGs. Um, uh, now again, because it only started counting in early 2020, this skews very heavily to the last two years. But uh, the top most downloaded episode is top ten PS2 RPGs. Other ones in the top five were the. Uh, are the recent Essential 10 episodes, the Game Boy Advance episode, 
the year in review episodes for 2021 and 2020. Um, and a few other things, and, uh, but a few other things like top tens and lists and broader mm-hmm. topics usually have more downloads than game specific ones. The, 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 uh, most downloaded game specific episode is our final fantasy seven remake spoiler cast <laughs> uh, with the, uh, the other ones in the top five were, uh, tactics, ogre, Baton Kaitos, skies of Arcadia and near replicant. Oh so, God, I'm so sorry, everybody. That's like <laughs> two ones I hosted, <laughs> and I, uh, I I was only in three of those, and you were and you were in four. So uh, yeah, Alana, you're the winner here. Oh God, but um, that just I think goes along to I think how listeners interact with Retro Encounter. We we have many listeners that have been listening for years or subscribe to the podcast and listen every week, but a lot of the time. It's people doing searches on Spotify or iTunes, which are by far our two biggest podcatchers, with iTunes uh, slightly behind Spotify. They'll, they're looking for a specific topic, and they're uh, looking for a topic that's more accessible to them. So not everyone has played Baton Kaitos, but Baton Kaitos, so, so they're more likely to listen to a top 10 episode. But people that want to hear a Baton Kaitos podcast will search for one and then find ours because there aren't a ton of Baton Kaitos podcasts out there. So like, the, if I wanted to do Retro Encounter and only go for the maximum audience possible, I would give clickbaity titles, things like listicles or, or best of episodes. And then when I do the game-specific one, it would be the ones that have a large underserved audience. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm not going to do that. We're going to, I mean, I'm still going to run retro encounter basically how I like to run it with, uh, with a lot of internal polling of RPG fan staff, a lot of stuff going on on our ideas board, um, occasionally, uh, a public poll for input like that. Um, answering people's questions as much as I can in Twitter and discord. But, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like, should I do, does this mean I should do more? top 10 episodes or uh should i do more weird rpgs that other people haven't podcasted or done videos on or uh i don't know should i just take this under advisement and then just do uh another another dragon quest and another sweet it in <laughs> i mean it's it's funny because you know um as like the features manager for rpg fan i have these kinds of thoughts all the time right like what what sorts of things do we want to run do we want to run things that are like highly specific and like maybe more interesting to me personally um or like we just posted pretty recently like the top you know 25 uh 360 and ps3 rpgs and i think there's there's space for all of it um and i know that if we wanted to generate more traffic like every time we do like a top 10 whatever uh, that's going to be you know some of our biggest hits and, you know, we sometimes will adjust even like the titles of things to make them more, I don't know, we'll say clickable instead of clickbait. Uh, so it, it's it's a hard thing for me. I always think it's kind of a cheap win, but it is a win and it's content that people are interested in. Right. So if people want to read it, then that's important. But we also have, you know, our own principles as an outlet. And I, I think they're similar to yours. Right. And so to me, the way you're doing it now is great. Uh, but I understand the question. <laughs> And I should I should say I also appreciate that uh, Zach and Mike, both of you, definitely have access to the Retro Encounter stats, and uh, and thank you for not just looking those up and giving me the answers right away. <laughs> I mean, I was I was looking it up after after we guessed the right thing because I'm like, oh, I want to see what the other ones are now. But yeah, I was not going to cheat. So I think I mean I think there's room for both. I think the top ten 
they're very different too, like in terms of like what we do on the site. It's like we here's a list, it's published, but then having an episode about it is just very different because there's like this live discussion back and forth. So I like I like that we have both. I think they're well worth listening to, and it's important that people want to listen to them. But you know, also for us, just because we've been around for so long, um, we have so much retro coverage, and a lot of people really do come to us for that. So whether they're obscure or just old or if they're old and obscure um i i think that definitely draws people too so maybe that's why the ps2 one like really resonate with people because it hits both of those even though i hate describing ps2 games as old they are sort of at this point um so that gets to the retro stuff and the list stuff um and i i didn't really mention this before but uh um the PS2 era seems to be a bit of a sweet spot for our audience. Um, that that is, uh, uh, I mean, uh, I think what at, at least two of the games that I mentioned were high rating game journal episodes are from around that time, and uh, I think they, they always do numbers when we cover stuff of that era. Zach, you would probably know better than I do. You you kind of catch like a variety of audiences with PS2 era, right? Like. I- even as someone who like started playing RPGs when I was very young and I'm like 37 now, I was still in high school when the PS2 came out. Right. So like the, and sort of that older audience and RPG fan starts right around the same time that the PS2 starts a little bit before, but it's, it's similar timing wise. And so you've got those people, but also the younger people who are either on staff or, you know, are into RPGs. They might've had a PS2 when they were younger than me, like when they were like five or six. And so I think that it ends up catching both audiences and you're not losing the older crowd who maybe are playing fewer RPGs now. Cause like, I don't know, they have a family and things to take care of. And you're also catching that younger crowd who are still, you know, maybe in their twenties now and grew up with the PS2. Yeah. If, if you forgive me for you, for using words, I don't love using um, the PS2 probably does bridge the gap between millennials and Gen Zers. Well, I think it's totally <laughs> true. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I, my students obviously are, P, are uh, Gen Z and like a lot of them had, you know, GameCubes or PS2s when they were really young. So it makes sense. And, and, but, and, but for me, the PS2 and GameCube were my, uh, the consoles of my teenage years. So it, it makes sense. Uh, Wes Arlana, do you have ideas for how I should change the podcast to get a larger audience? I think it should all be listicles from now on. <laughs> Top 10 lists for everything. <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> got it all right oh. so how many top 10 yakuza games can i make in <laughs> you you can do that so <laughs> yeah top, top 10 mini games top 10 side characters perfect top 10 energy drinks <laughs> top 10 majimas so i mean you had just like you could just go back and retitle your vending machine feature the top 10 vending machines and rpgs like yeah, and, and like to twist it a little bit around because one, I don't think you should change what you're doing. I think like a variety of both is great because that's what you need to do. Unfortunately, as a site and a podcast and as somebody who works for an outlet who does lean into clickable more often, and I'm really sorry I introduced that into a vocabulary sack. Um, but um, yeah, you sort of have to do a bit of both and. I always want to write things with a more interesting headline, like some of the stuff that I used to do at RPG Fan, like just tell you straight up what it is with a colon, da da da. Like, this is the game, this is the topic, or this is the quote, this is the topic with the game in there. But sometimes you do have to twist it a little bit with articles in particular. I don't think you need to do that with game journals. Um, but 
lists are always going to draw people because people love opinions and people love agreeing and disagreeing with opinions. So when there's a list of top 10 RPGs and their favorite one isn't at number one, they are going to have an opinion and they're going to listen to the episode out and then just go, I don't agree with that. But that was a great discussion, maybe. That's like one oh, no, example. We, we, we got a very rude comment a little while ago. <laughs> it's one of my that. favorites. Oh, yeah. oh I've, I, I, I have a bull witness to this, don't worry. <laughs> they're, they're not always a, uh, a, you know, a thoughtful discussion when, the, when their no. favorite game is not in our top 10 uh, games episodes. What did somebody <gasps> say? We didn't include The Witcher 3 in our essential 10, so immediately we became a joke oh, <laughs> on the iTunes. One was, the one I was thinking of was, uh, was about Baldur's Gate, but you're very close. <laughs> oh. Jokes on them. I was always a joke. <laughs> my my favorite was on the uh, 360 PS3 feature recently. Someone commented, "I don't like this list because Xenoblade's not on it." I was like, "Wait, it's like it's, it's, so it's, what?" Also, uh, that would be also very like if you threw the Wii into that discussion, that would be very unfair to like. No offense to like all the other games, but Xenoblade is like apart from Mass Effect, probably. Persona 5, I guess. Like, yeah, Xenoblade is very, very, very much above a lot of that generation's caliber. So oh, oh, yeah. Xenoblade you know. Z- 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 <laughs> is my favorite Wii game by a huge long shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, and, uh, and, and the, the tone of that whole article would have changed um, if we included the Wii. Because, I, I mean, like, even when the Wii was brand new, like, Sony and Microsoft execs were saying, oh, yeah, we think you should get a Wii as your second console after ours. Because they, right. they, they were really competing with each other and not the Wii. Um, right. It, it was, and, uh, and the Wii was such a weird phenomenon. Like, the, that whole console generation lasted eight or nine years instead of the typical five. And, uh, and, and the Wii was, was a, uh, a, a, a downgrade in power, but, uh, but, a, but, like, did so many unique and creative things and was marketed so well that it, it dominated the the uh, the con- that generation in sales. It, it, it's a great article, the the PS and the PS three mm. three sixty article. And uh, listeners, you should all read it. But uh, the Wii is not represented somewhat deliberately. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it was that you know we've we've done so many of those for other consoles, and at some yeah. point we talked about PS three. We're like, there's really no sense in running PS three and Xbox three sixty as completely separate features because there's yeah. so much overlap. But there wouldn't be with the Wii. Like, actually, we should yeah. we should do a Wii one at some point. Yeah, I'm re- th- th- there was a weird phenomenon very early in the Wii U's tenure um, that, like, they had a bunch of ports of 360 and PS3 games mm-hmm. in, in the early Wii U, including Mass Effect, and I think yeah. I, I think some Assassin's Creed games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mass Effect Three has got its own version, mm-hmm. hasn't it? So I think I think the answer here is just keep doing what you're doing because. <laughs> like my my last little thing here is that if you want to look at uh, my thing, I keep thinking of the last few months is like if you wonder like what people come to RPG fan for is that when Xenoblade Chronicles three came out, I think it was a day or two after it released, someone someone sent something through our contact form and said, "Hey, like, are you guys going to review this?" And you know, <laughs> well, it's one of those games like we didn't get it in advance and like we couldn't have it on day one so like but there were people who are like they really want a review of this game that has been out for like a few hours so there's we have that side we have people that my want best, that. i promise and no no you were great but it's like i just i look at that i'm like okay so people really do want to come here for current content and then like two months later we post the review of the first suikoden game on ps1 and 
there was a time period in that month where it did so much traffic that it actually had more readers than the front page of the site, which I've yeah. never I've never seen before. That's really cool. So yeah. I mean, it's great, but like, basically, you have to do both because right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Until like go to the ps2 argument and i guess apologies because i was like eight years old when the ps2 came out so (laughs) i was i know but 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 i i love my gamecube a tiny bit more just because it has a few weirder ones like bat and kytos um but i think that that now because that console and because that generation is like 20 years old like there's a there is more nostalgia for it than ever and like arguably like a lot more discussion seems to be taking place online about gamecube and the ps2 and the original xbox because the original xbox didn't have a lot of rpgs on it right they had jade empire and it had a uh, and and, other, and, uh, and kotor uh, and kotor um, and some bioware uh, like early bioware basically and fable and other things but like there's a real nostalgia for that particular generation and like someone was telling me the other day like what's the best like best like starting or christmas lineup or holiday season lineup and the playstation 2's like 20 2001 christmas lineup or something like final fantasy 10 gta 3 uh devil may cry something else i'm like jesus christ i'm like these are like all timers still (laughs) i'm like so the ps2 like as much as the ps1 was like revolutionary the ps2 is still like one of the best-selling consoles of all time and it totally makes sense to I me. Think, that, like, I think it's still number one if you yeah, don't if you don't if you don't count handhelds like the DS. Yeah, I I don't even think the DS has overtaken it in Japan at least. Maybe oh, really? I, I think I thought the DS was ahead, but it, but but it's it's its numbers are insane. That is definitely true. Yeah. So yeah, there's just such a rightful nostalgia for that generation, and the PS2's got so many RPGs on it, like so many weird ones as well. Like you've got like your normal ones, like Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy, but then you've got like ephemeral fantasia or steambot chronicles hi marcos and um you know uh shadow hearts and weekends and your wild arms and yeah. one of the one of the strongest lineups of rpgs of all time which right. you can hear all about in our uh what console is the best rpg best for rpgs tournament that we did a couple of years ago those, those mm. were fun episodes to record mm, they will yeah uh, but all right um Thank you so much for this uh, this podcast um, theory crafting discussion that I I have had with you, with uh, all of you at one point or another in some form. But uh, I, the answer really is um, I'm going to continue making retro encounter how I like to make it, which is some retro content, some more modern content, some listicle listicles or broader content, some ultra specific content. It, it's going to be what the what me and the RPG fan staff want to make for the most part. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm making it sound like I, I run, uh, I run the podcast like a dictator and to, to, to a degree that's true. And to a degree that's a little unfair, but I mean, I, I ultimately decide what episodes happen. So I guess it is true, but, uh, uh, Alana, now it's your turn to be a dictator. Uh, what's the next, uh, <laughs> what's the next category we're going with? Um, I think we all need a little bit of soul in our lives right now. All righty. I'm scared this is about Dark Souls, in which case, oops. Oh, it is. Yay, <laughs> I know nothing. It's, it's it's not as scary as that, though. Um, Every From Software game that has swords in it has a weapon called the Moonlight Sword or Moonlight Greatsword or similar, dating all the way back to Kingsfield and Armored Core, <laughs> except for one. What is, what is that exception? Oh, my God. Okay. Mm. Um... 
it's not as hard as you think it is. It's a game I'm just going to guess Demon Souls just because you played it recently. <laughs> nope. I actually, uh, I know where the Great Sword of Moonlight is in that game, but I it's too hard because I have to do a certain level and get it up to light level three and then defeat a boss. And nope, I, I can't get that sword, sadly. I was going to say, I know nothing about From, but can you even switch weapons in uh, Sekiro? Uh you are, you are correct. It is Sekiro. Ah. And the, the, the reason that it's not in there, and they even in, they even addressed this in an interview at one point, which I thought was amusing, because the, like having a sword called Moonlight is a FromSoft tradition. Even the like, there's even like mech uh, in Armored Core. There are Moonlight laser swords in that. Game. Oh, that was going to be my answer. <laughs> but but in Sekiro, because they. Uh, they wanted the game to be just about the katana combat. There are, mm. I think there are multiple swords in that game, but uh, they didn't, like a moonlight sword didn't really fit what they wanted to do. Um, so they they decided not to have it in there. But uh, Sekiro is also unusual among FromSoft games because there's no RPG fan review for it. Uh, we decided it wasn't quite RPG enough because it's, uh, it's a game that has a lot of stealth combat in it and a lot of sort of counter parry action combat in it. Uh, with little in the way of of gaining levels or RPG mechanics. Um, there's also a grappling hook that lets you zoom from place to place back and mm-hmm. forth, which is a, a change from the other Souls-likes. Like, there's even debate on whether Sekiro should be considered a Souls-like. But uh, otherwise, it does have a lot of Souls-like ideas, especially about, like, the... Um, uh, uh, about just being a game with a lot of danger and, uh, and like, uh, by, by co- finding the location where you died to reclaim some of the... Uh, as resources you lost um it, it's a very very uh well beloved game by FromSoft fans but uh rpg fan doesn't cover it and and uh rob steinman has been bugging me to play it uh, along with many other souls games for the past year or two but uh here's the discussion i wanted to have and, and I'm, I'm wondering if, the, if i'm just going crazy um i like samurai stuff a lot like i've seen i don't know seven or eight akira kurosawa akira kurosawa films at least um but in the past five years or so, we've had Ghosts of Tsushima, uh, the Like a Dragon Ishin's coming out soon. We've had Neo one and two. We've had Rise of the Ronin just get ex- just get announced. Sekiro's coming out. Like even if you throw out all the Koei samurai games, of which there are dozens, uh, like we feel like it feels like that we are just suddenly surrounded by samurai games. And I'm even more surprisingly, I haven't played any of them yet. But suddenly, I have a samurai smorgasbord to choose from. Am I, am, I, am I crazy, or is there just a lot of samurai happening right now? There's an Onimusha anime coming out as well. <laughs> Onimusha's coming back! Holy Yeah, moly. there you go. Um, I will get some facts for you. Carry on. But it is the Onimusha anime bringing back, uh, uh, bringing back, well, I can't think of his name, Jean Reno. Because remember, there's unex- yes, unexplicitly, no. <laughs> yeah, unexplicit, unex- un- for no reason at all, they brought in the, uh, the coolest French actor of all time for Onimusha 3, and I still right. I still don't understand why. But because it was awesome. This, yes, but I don't think so. But Takeshi Miike is directing. I, I mean, why am I not surprised? Right, exactly. So there you go. No, you're not going crazy. Like the samurai everywhere, and it's kind of cool, but also like a little bit like, oh wow, we were really having like a a game like every month. A, a couple episodes ago of Retro Encounter, Peter Treisenberg and I had a discussion of maybe making a podcast called the Takeshi Me Cast. Just to, <laughs> just to do about about his weird horror and surrealism and his samurai movies and his video game adaptations. That that guy's a madman. But 
I'm, I, I like samurai stuff a lot. I've had an eye on Ghost of Tsushima forever. I, I didn't know I liked Souls games until recently, so uh, uh, Sekiro and Neo really weren't on my radar, but they are now. Naturally, I'm interested in the Like a Dragon game. Um, Rise of the Ronin is is by uh, Tecmo Koei, so it's the it's like the the Team Ninja Ninja Gaiden people, but making an open world samurai game that's going to be less. I think less fantasy influenced than um, than uh, Neo is, but a lot of it sounds really cool. I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to start Elden Ring soon, and I might I might use katanas in that game instead. I don't know. You know, we get these these floods of different types of games. You know, years and years ago, zombies were in absolutely everything. They added <laughs> yeah. zombies mm-hmm. modes to everything. Um, more recently, we've seen Battle Royale and everything. Right now, I think we're on the cusp of we're going to either lean towards space horror or samurai, or maybe we'll just kind of have a little bit of both, since that's a pretty divided crowd. Yes. <laughs> give give us some cyberpunk Ronin. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Street Combine samurai them. up in here. Yeah, yeah, we do have a lot of space horror games right now, like and horror survival horror is coming back in a big way, like Silent Hill Two remake and Resident Evil Four remake, and two more Silent Hill games are all coming and it's like oh my god but like to back up your point on like samurai stuff as well there's tons of like samurai classes and samurai jobs in other rpgs and always have been like you know 14 again i guess samurai is my main at this point but like octopath traveler 2's warrior type character uh hikari is a samurai and i think that's very cool i think it's cool too i mean i I was looking at which elden ring class to start at like just a, a day ago and samurai jumped out at me a little bit yeah I, I think that samurai stories in general are um they're a classic sort of trope that we like to come back to and if people have been playing with the idea of samurai for a long time like there's like a french movie in the 60s called Le samurai yeah, that's really that, cool that, yeah no that has alan delon in it and it's uh, right it's, it's about a uh it's about a hitman, um, and it, but it's 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 an extremely cool movie. Yes, All right. He has like a code, and there's one with uh, Force Whitaker called Ghost Dog, yeah. and, uh, in like the '90s, I think. Anyway, I, I think that it's it, it's a trope that we like. That sort of like a uh, person who's alone with a code. Uh, I mean, you could even argue like Omar from The Wire is kind of like a samurai, right? So I think that uh, people really like that, and I think that 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 trope just kind of going back to it as being something that's cool in and of itself makes sense i mean like you know we're talking about kiryu he's always kind of like a samurai right so oh, yeah. for now we're gonna make it literal so okay. i think that it just naturally lends itself to it yeah i think that and the fact that the character often is fairly honorable often feels like quite a relatable thing i would say so yeah but now you just get to have a cool sword that's what people are really interested in <laughs> Yeah, like um, l- 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 like stoic mas- masculinity and swords are both cool. So let's uh let's let's have an entire genre revolve around it and find that make its way into video games a lot recently. Like uh, again, I this is just a this is more a shower thought than a trivia question for me. Um, but I now that I have a lot of samurai options, I'm gonna play a couple of them hopefully soon. Uh, mo- mostly thinking of like a Dragon Ishin now, which comes out a week before my birthday. Uh, happy birthday to me in 2023 perfect <laughs> yeah i like samurai in final fantasy 5 and also Orin, who's technically a berserker kind of thing but he's kind of really a samurai <laughs> yeah isn't his isn't his moveset bushido yes yeah. it is i want to guess cats 
can as well. So, yeah. Oh, that's true. Well, I mean, I I really like uh, uh, Samurai and Final Fantasy Tactics because these the, oh, spe- yeah. the, the spells you get from Iido get are real weird and can differentiate between allies and enemies, which is which is sometimes a problem in that game. But oh, okay, we don't need to get into Final Fantasy Tactics mechanics. Uh, <laughs> um, that is, uh, I think, episodes seven through nine of Retro Encounter, maybe eight through ten. Uh, oh, way back there. Yeah, way mm-hmm. way back there. But uh, Mike, it is your turn to pick a new topic. I'm gonna pick. I feel like the the right follow up to this is picking Blade, unless that's also like a category name to throw us off. Uh, it's it's um, no, it isn't really. Um, it is about a different kind of blade than you're thinking, though. Um, and there's a reason that uh, in my list here it appears next to a different question. Um, what do Final Fantasy VI and Xenoblade Chronicles Cross have in common? Max. Oh my goodness. Yes, but you need to be more specific. What do you mean more specific? The ride mechs. Correct, but I want it to be more specific. <laughs> Magical mechs? <laughs> no, um oh I don't want to give it away right yet. Uh but you're you're you you guys have the right idea so far. Is it something to do with like the origin of the mechs? Yes. Oh, shoot. Maybe right? I didn't play I might not have played enough of the story and in cross to know i spent all my time doing side quests uh no it doesn't have to do with the story of either game oh okay oh 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 my god yes actually i'm an idiot i know this um tetsuya takahashi don't have to design both of them yeah yep tetsuya takahashi designed magitech armor and all of the mechs for the xenoblade games oh my goodness Um, yeah, there's a uh, Tetsuya Takahashi was an artist with Square for many, many years. He designed monsters most for the most part in Final Fantasy V, including Omega. And in Final Fantasy VI, he designed uh, Magitek armor and a lot of enemies. Um, and originally, uh, his pitch for Xeno Gears yeah. was an idea for Final Fantasy VII that he did with his uh, with his writing partner, but uh, it was rejected for what um, ended up being Tetsuya Nomura's pitch. And uh, when Xeno Gears got a far, far lower budget and than Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Takahashi realized that unless he was on the mainline Final Fantasy games, he would never make, get to make the projects he wanted. So even though Xenogears did get made, he uh, left Square to found Monolith Soft um, not long after Xenogears was finished. And that, and that resulted in the Xenosaga games, the Xenoblade games, and uh, several others. Uh, his wife, Soraya Saga, was also a... Uh, a writer and designer um, on his projects with Monolith Soft. So, uh, yeah, just a, as a coincidence, um, we're starting up a month of Xeno very, very soon. Uh, I, I, it, this is already available on social media, but uh, Xeno Saga Episode 1 is going to be our game journal game for December. And uh, we're doing a Xenoblade 3 uh, spoiler cast also in December. So there's going to be a lot of um, Xeno Saga and Xenoblade in excuse me, in Retro Encounter very soon. But I thought it was sort of um, a pretty amazing thread that the designer of the Magitek armor in Final Fantasy VI is still making mechs in video games today. (laughs) I mean, he loved them. Like, Takahashi and the team, like, when they came up with the idea for Xenoblade Chronicles, like, their pitch was literally, like, the Bionis and the Maconis figurines that they spent time modeling and they used like development teams to like try and get the shapes right, like the poses, like they used to pose them and then they would like pose the models in that way. And their pitch was literally just to show Nintendo these figures. 
they didn't have an idea about what the game was. It was just these two models, and they were like, "We want to make a game on these." And like <laughs> the and and even like the developer, like the um, project lead at the time, was like, "Do you have any more than that?" And the, he was like, "No." And he was really surprised. So, like, it was like these just two. It's a bit more of that. It's like a pretty vague detail. But, like, yeah, like, Takashi is a big mech fan, obviously. And Monolith Soft do a pretty good job of it. I think I, I'm glad that they're, like, more prominent in Xenoblade 3. And they're pretty prominent in 2 as well. Like, 1 is a we- de- deals with them in a weird way. And 3 does too, in a very cool way, though, I would say. But, um, yeah, Takahashi's, like, career is ridiculous like even before monolith uh, monolith even um like xenogears he worked on final fantasy 4 he worked on chrono trigger he worked on all sorts of things so it's like he worked at falcom too didn't he for a little bit i believe um yeah i think that was before his time with square but, but yeah. he, uh, he was an artist and art director for mm-hmm. multiple um game projects for quite a while xenogears was really sort of his first when a uh, game where he was uh where he was like the in a in a project lead role and uh and is probably the game with square that uh he's most associated with and when i framed that question i specifically chose uh xenoblade chronicles cross to compare to ff6 because i really wanted to draw attention to uh the mechs you're writing and there's a lot of mech design and mech writing in in chronicles cross Mm -hmm. um again the one wii u game that i think still needs a switch port more than any other 100 percent, definitely uh but yeah I, i think that without takahashi um, Final Fantasy would look a little different because, I mean, Final Fantasy got less fantasy and more sci-fi steampunk in the 90s. And a lot of that is because of robot designs from Takahashi. Like, it's he's one of the secret architects of what Final Fantasy would end up looking like. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and then, of course, you know, the Magitek armor also appears in 14. And that's there's a lot of that. Like, that, oh, yes. that look and feel, like, is defined, like, the whole, like empire so like he obviously indirectly influenced some major portions of 14 as well yeah you get a free magitech armor mount when you beat when you beat the game uh the realm reborn storyline for the first time and and for a while when i didn't have any cool mounts i used that uh i used that ride a lot yep now i have a true griffin though and and uh and i don't want to ride anything else that that's a really cool griffin <laughs> All right, so uh, that we are two-thirds done with the lineup of questions right now, so we're back to the top of the order again. Uh, Wes, pick a category from the remaining four. I'm going to make like Dora the Explorer and choose map. All right. <laughs> That's all I've got, folks. As a mapping professional, I uh, was had a lot of fun researching this question. Um, what RPG has the largest world map in video game history? specifically an rpg or um it is believed to be the largest map in video game history but it is also an rpg i mean i guess it's going to be elden ring no i guess it'll be cross xenoblade chronicles cross also incorrect but elden Hmm. ring does have four letters in common with the answer oh wow (laughs) wow oh this is an elder scrolls game right it is do you know which one though oh it's gotta be it's it's Skyrim? got to be Skyrim, a, hasn't yeah. it? Oh, it's not. Sky, it's uh, Oblivion. Also, uh, 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 okay, Oblivion's map is smaller than Skyrim's. Um, what? Or, or, or 
uh, Oblivion, excuse me, Morrowind is not the right answer. I'm, I'll just give it to you. Um, Elder Scrolls Two Daggerfall's map is stupid. <laughs> what? It's, um, Amazing. It's, it is. It is uh, sixty-two thousand square miles, which is only a little bit smaller than the entire island of Great Britain. Um, what? It has over fifteen thousand towns, five different kinds of biomes, uh, dungeons and towns randomly distributed at times. Uh, and every NPC character in it has a specific alignment and faction they belong to, but it is generally randomly generated, uh, which is mostly to its detriment. Like Elder Scrolls, Elder Scrolls Two is not nearly as beloved as the Elder Scrolls game games from Morrowind onward, in in part because this map is so huge and vast and hard to find anything that uh, that feels crafted or unique or interesting. And and also uh, like if you're if you're uh, ever curious about the best way to play uh, Daggerfall nowadays, it is free on Bethesda's website. <laughs> you can if you go to if you go to Bethesda Softworks's website, you can find a Windows version of the game pretty easily. But here's where my thoughts go: like, how important is vastness in a, in an RPG map? Because I think that when it's done well, it, it, it's really awesome. But if something feels empty or boring, then I lose interest in it really quickly, which right. which which is uh, which is another way of saying that when a map feels huge and awesome and but also not boring, I think that's that's an, an almost impossible ba- uh, balance to strike. Like it, it makes games like Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring all the more impressive for for pulling it off. So uh, do, um, and uh, and uh, I mean Alana, you and I have a certain map that we both love. Uh, Skies of <laughs> Skies of Arcadia's world map. Is just wonderful, but I just uh, uh, posing a question to the panel, uh, like like what's a world map that you just adore, and uh, is it because it's detailed or vast or both or neither? All right, so I'm going to go for something different and something that recently got released in English. Um, maybe not necessarily because it doesn't have a world map, and not because it's a world, but I guess it's part of a bigger RPG world. Um, Trails from Zero is set in one state. And most of the game is set in one city. So I guess Samuria as a whole is a really interesting world. But there is something really impressive about an RPG, I think, that can set its entire game in the walls of, like, one location and still make it interesting. Like, I don't think it's ever the size of the world map that is important to me. It's how involving and enriching and how like the population of that world like integrates into it and how like inter- interacts with you basically so again on the other end of the scale still like chronicles 3 world is like i don't think it's as impressive as twos or ones for different reasons but i think it's impressive in other ways mostly because of the people who live in it right i know i'm diverting from the question a little bit here um but i think that Crossbell in particular is such a cool place because you have to go you become so familiar with it like it's a big city and a big state but you know where everything is like immediately and so you feel like you've been living in that city for as long as Lloyd and Randy and Ellie and Tio have been as well so it's like the other end of the scale for me it's like probably one of the most recent examples I can think of of like an RPG world in inverted commas that I really love. So I guess I'm sorry I'm like twisted your question a little bit. There, no, no, it, no, it's fine. <laughs> like um, you didn't really twist it. Like like you uh are valuing 
the details and the intimacy of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the crossbell maps in a way that like maybe you wouldn't feel that kind of intimacy in a map that's really huge for my version of that answer is Kamarocho in the like a dragon uh, slash mm-hmm. yakuza, yakuza games like because you go back to Kamarocho in all of them except for the ones that take place in samurai times um like like it, it feels like you're visiting the old neighborhood and you can see how it's changed in small ways over the years but you still know where everything is and you like when you pass by the ruins of the uh of of the of the brothel that's destroyed in in uh in yakuza one like you 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 remember what what happened there it like like it's not kamarocho and and any of the maps in the yakuza games frankly are aren't that huge but like you get a feel for the town like you've been living there in a way that you cannot feel at all for something like hyrule right and like to stretch out the trails thing a little bit more like if you've played trails in the sky and or cold steel you're also like fleshing out Zamuria even more, right? So, like, you hear mentions of Crossbell in one game, and then you're in Crossbell, and you're like, oh, like, you're recontextualizing stuff. So, it works in like twofold for Trails most of the time. And we've been hearing about Calvard for over a decade now. Oh, and we're, and, I'm and so we're, ready. Yeah, and we're finally getting Calvard games coming our way in the next probably couple tw- of years but, <laughs> 2024 probably yeah <laughs> yeah either, either 24 or 25 depending on it but but they're they're really releasing them in a hurry uh though which, which is uh surprising to me um because we, we got two announced in 2023 already we got three Nayuta's coming in english oh, as well 100 percent. we I don't forgot, know i, I forgot Nayuta, yeah. but th- th- that's sort of the gaiden chapter though yeah apparently some it, characters in are in kuro <laughs> Really? Um, or oh, some wow. involvement potentially. No, no, uh, it's, it's it's within the it's within the canon, but it's not yeah. like a, it's not like one of the numbered ones. No, that's right. Yeah. But uh Wes, Zach, or Mike, do you have do we have any things that we love about RPG maps? So vastness has always been kind of a almost always a detriment to me. Sometimes it can be done really well, but I'd much rather have a, a nice focused experience than something that goes to feel big. Um, and oftentimes I just kind of run out of gas at some point. Uh, I have yet to beat a Xenoblade game that I didn't take a giant break in the middle of. Um, <laughs> like I'm, in some cases, like a decade-long break <laughs> before finishing uh, the first game. But what I really love is when it can still feel like it's this big exploration. Like Earthbound is one of my absolute favorites. And it doesn't have like a big overworld map, but each of the locations feels so unique and distinct um each each of the towns that you go to has its own identity and there's travel between each one that also feels unique you go through different kinds of biomes that transition from you know one town that you're at to the next and it gives this really good impression of like you're really spanning the world you're exploring all these different kinds of places but none of the exploration ever takes so long that it it wears you down uh you're not like going and searching for lost stuff quite so much as you're trying to get from one place to another um, and that really makes me feel, okay, this is, this still feels like exploration, but you can kind of fake it. Cause I don't have to explore so much that I get, I, for, I lose the plot in between two different places. I, I, the only Xenoblade game I've, I've really put hard time into is Xenoblade one. And I, and I did finish it, but, uh, that game is exhausting. <laughs> there are like everything in it is so big and there are so many side quests that I, like it's it's a great great RPG, but it sometimes vastness for the sake of vastness does see, can be overwhelming or or exhausting, and uh, and I, I definitely feel that. But again, like when it's done right, uh, like if a game creates a sense of scale 
but still feels fun and and detailed that that's that's the that's the ideal and but it's it very very seldomly hits that ideal i've found which is part of why i'm so eager to play more souls games because everyone has told me about like how how great the open world uh and uh or 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 interconnected designs of dark souls one and three and elden ring are it's interesting because for me a lot of times i'm with wes like i see like a big vast world and i'm like oh my gosh how long is this game going to take me? And like, I know I have some like completionist tendencies. And so I know that like, if I look at it, I'm gonna be like, Oh, this is going to be frustrating. So like I tried to play Elden ring the other week and I died 12 times in an hour. So that was problem number one. But problem number two was like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I've only walked like three feet. <laughs> um, and I know how many feet there are in the game. Right. And so I, when I think about something like Xenoblade, like it has to have, a story and as Alana was saying, the people that convinces me that it's worth it. So, you know, I actually prefer the zones in Xenoblade one because they are actually significantly smaller and more manageable than Xenoblade three, but Xenoblade three has like a sense of scale and it's sort of the whole point, but I don't like them as much and they're not as well designed or as tight, I think. And I even think about like to talk about things that aren't RPGs. Like I really prefer like GTA four to GTA five. And part of the reason for that is that I'm not spending so much time driving between things. Nico, my cousin. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> and so I, I just find myself frustrated sometimes by really, really large open world checklist games. And I know that Elden Ring is not that, but then like I need the checklist because like, where am I going? Or is like, I don't like Breath of the Wild as much as a lot of people. And it's because like, oh my gosh, there's just so many places to walk. And I don't have any reason to walk there um, because I don't care. Um, And so like, I need something to sort of drive me through those spaces. And then I can kind of like explore on the side along the way. You you need a different mindset for, for for that kind of experience. Like, like when I, I, again, I'm thinking a lot about playing more Souls games. So I, I won't use that example again, but with Breath of the Wild, like I had to sort of just pick a direction and let things happen. And, and, and that was, which is against my normal instinct, but I was able to enjoy the game more by embracing the chaos a little bit when I, I normally prefer a more ordered path, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. I just, I just never can get into that. Now I'm, I'm not sure where I land in, in the group here. Like, I really like games where I can explore literally for the sake of exploring. So Breath of the Wild worked for me, but I still want something to do. Um, I think one of the reasons Breath of the Wild works for me is because I could just explore and do whatever. And there really is stuff all over the world. Like there's not just like big open areas of nothing um, for the most part. Like there's probably a chest or there's a rock you can pick up just things you can find. So like if if there's still something to do or something to see, then I'm all for a world being really big. Um it's like um Final Fantasy 14 like I think there if you look at some of their expansions from like from, you know, their zone design from expansion to expansion, like I think they've gotten much better over time. Like some of the like in Heaven's Word, I like the look and feel of the areas. Uh, some of them just take way too long to get around. Uh, sea of Clouds, especially, I don't think is a great. And there aren't enough e- etherite crystals either. Yeah, um, yeah. some That's of those areas. Yeah. yeah, and but the thing is too, like, there's also like, there's so little to do otherwise in some of those zones. 
Um, which I realize it's an MMO. So like every zone is like technically reserved for something at some point. But um, so like that kind of thing, if it's a big area, like if I have something to do in it, it bothers me less. If it's a narrative thing, if it's a story thing, or if it's just, you know, finding a Korok or something like I'm okay with that, but just, I just don't want to be bored. <laughs> Otherwise, like, yes, like when you see like these big, you know, expansive areas, like that's, that's great. Like I love, I love that feeling and exploring but as long as as long as it's not empty i'm okay with it just put discoveries and bounties in every single world map and i'm happy there you, go. <laughs> you can't see me but i'm nodding along to that mm-hmm. correct good i can feel it but but mike really got down to it it's like like vastness and scale can be impressive just don't make just don't make it boring and uh I'm afraid that Elder Scrolls II Daggerfall can get pretty boring, which is why it's for available for free on the Bethesda Softworks website. Amazing. But uh, let's see. Uh, Zach, we only have three more to choose from. Uh, pick the next category. I'm going to go with something that I don't know as much about as probably a lot of people here, which is Falcom. All right. You don't need to know a lot about Falcom to know the to <laughs> guess the answer to this one. Um, East One was not the first action RPG, and it was not the first Falcom RPG, but it was the first what kind of RPG? Bumper uh, car RPG? Bumper, damn it. <laughs> 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 I like how we all thought that. I was, I was just like, going to yeah, say I, that, yeah. I, I, I usually like comparing it to lawn mowing or sumo wrestling, but I, I understand <laughs> that that's, it's not what I was looking for, though. Okay. Um, oh, I, mean, I guess it sort of has like a top-down view. Is that what we're talking? Well, I don't no, know. I mean it, it was a it was a year after Zelda, so it it, uh, it wouldn't okay. exactly be that. Um, Is it system related, like the platform it came mm, out on? Uh, yes and no. Not, oh, not, ex- not exactly. That's but it has not anime uh, cutscenes. I don't know. Um, system related is close. But it's got to be like the first RPG on that system, which my brain is not remembering. It's not the Amiga, uh, or is it? No, it wasn't the Amiga. Uh, it it the I Turbo, think, gra- Turbo Graphics, right? Yeah, yeah. It, yes, uh, thank you. Well, it had a Turbo. Okay, should, should I just say it because you're you're really close, closer than you realize. <laughs> We're all dancing um, around it. It was the first RPG to receive a full remake. Um, oh! it, came out, it came out for the MSX and some yeah. other and some other consoles at first. Then it had an NES version that made a few interface changes, but was ultimately not as good. But then Turbo Graphics, the '89 version of East One and Two, was the first full RPG remake. I was gonna say it's the first package, isn't it? As well, yeah. really. Yeah. And uh, th- there were remakes of other games before this, mostly arcade to console ports, um, in- including the original uh, uh, Mario Brothers. The, the the one with uh you know uh with, with little buzz beetles not 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 super mario brothers one yeah. but uh but and and but eventually remaking games is rpgs maybe in particular just became a way of life uh the each of the first four dragon quest games were remade for the super famicom and for the playstation uh and now i mean we've already mentioned remakes of near replicant and final fantasy 7 and other games in this very episode. I mean, I, I I am willing to bet that each of us has played a remake of something in the past six months. Right? Right. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yep. And I mean, uh, I mean, just on Retro Encounter, I mean, I mentioned FF7 and and uh, and Replicant already, but 
Um, we did a whole episode on the Trials of Mana remake. Um, everyone played Live Alive a couple months ago for the mm-hmm. podcast on a, on a, the remade version. Um, like remakes are now a highlight, or or at least part of the video game release cycle. And every year we're excited about what is the next RPG remake that we can play next, whether it's a game that was unavailable before or uh, is hard to get now or could use some improvements and the remake is welcome. Uh, there's a certain Suikoden 1 and 2 remake package mm-hmm. that I think all five yeah. of us are probably interested in. Yep. So uh, what do you all think about all these remakes? I mean, I I know sometimes people get grumpy about them. It's like, oh, make original content. But people are still making original content. You know what I mean? Like I think about Suikoden, like Eden Chronicles coming out. And it's not a remake, obviously, but it is a spiritual successor. But Sweet in One, like, how could anybody be upset that that thing exists? Um, so I'm always happy about remakes and remasters. I understand that people want people to do different things, but like, if it's available on a more modern console, or if you are doing something interesting with it, which Final Fantasy VII Remake, even though I have criticisms of it, is certainly doing something interesting with it, uh, I think it's pretty much always good. I, I have no problem with it. I think a lot of I don't want to like spend time like talking about like people who don't like the remakes, but I think a lot of people miss the fact that when a game gets remade, the original one does not cease to exist and you can still play it. Um, I But in the case of like, like we talked about what like way earlier in the show, like there's so many games that you can't get anymore. So if a remake means people can play it again, and I think that's a great idea. And even people that are like, well, you know, I don't want a remake of this. Like, I want to play it on my on my PS1. I still have it. And it's like, yeah, but like not everyone did. Like uh, the people we talked about earlier that, you know, how they started with like PlayStation 2 when they were a kid or whatever, like literally never had these things earlier. And now they're into gaming and all that. And like, there's so many things that you cannot get anymore. So I think it's great for if only for preser- preservation, you know, that you can still play these in some format. So I'm I'm all for it. You know, I know the the Chrono Cross uh I don't want to call it a remake, but you know, I know it isn't perfect, but I'm glad that it's at least out there and available on all these consoles because there was really not a great way of playing that game be- for a while, especially when the PS store went away. And uh what is a remaster versus what is a remake? Isn't is not a discussion I'm interested in having. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the uh but 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 generally speaking, when remakes um like fix a problem that a game had or make a game more accessible or um, or make it available to an audience for the first time like like live alive or the upcoming like a dragon machine i i almost always support it um and i i hate to pick on a, a, an rpg fan staff member who's not here but uh, uh tom is one of our youngest people on staff and uh he he had not heard of Live Alive before its remake happened earlier this summer, but he enthusiastically dove into it and played a game that's uh, that's older than he is, uh, b- because this remake was made available to a wide audience, and and that's and and like remakes allowing uh, younger fans or or fa- or uh, fans or late coming fans, like uh, allowing them to enjoy and discover something is is wonderful. Yeah. That's worth lauding anytime these classics are available to people who haven't been able to experience them before. Um, yeah, sometimes we get ones that have questionable quality. Uh, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, targeting a mobile release and then not changing enough away from the mobile release when when you hit, you know, different platforms. Um, I don't know how anyone can complain 
<laughs> about making these more widely available. Um, right. That's just lovely. And actually, not even just age. And I'm sorry, Alana, if you were going to say this, and I'll probably let you elaborate. But you know, there was definitely a period, like in the '90s and stuff, where a lot of these things did not come out in parts of the world like Europe. Like, you guys missed out on so many games back then that just never came out there, and now all this stuff does. So I think that's also important. So it's not even an, always an age thing; it's just a region thing. Right. There are like some weird remakes I can think of, which I guess again, this is more of a port or whatever. Like Xenoblade, th Xenoblade Chronicles 3D on the new 3DS was oh, weird. Right. That was a weird port, yeah. but there's a port, right? But like, I was just thinking actually when you were saying that, Mike, Terra Enigma would be such a good game to get a remake because you never got it in America. It's like, use the Live Alive formula, which I think Live Alive is not only like the best example of HD 2D, but I think it's one of the best like remakes for being faithful and also like just tweaking things here and there just enough to make it still feel like a Super Nintendo RPG, but also feel like something that could have been made this year or last year even like it just but it feels like fresh anyway in its own way but yeah like i'm but if we're going to talk about remakes that have a remakes of games that we've already had access to so you know final fantasy 7 and final fantasy 7 remake um and gosh what is another remake i i keep my brain keeps thinking of the last of us and the last of us part one but that's a kind of a negative way because uh, that is a strange one like it's a remake of a game that came out five to ten years ago that was also available as a remaster on a previous <laughs> platform so that i can understand from that angle i think there has to be more of a reason to it like nia is a little bit older than uh, that uh, Last of Us. But it makes more sense because we got a westernized version of it that was buggy and they fixed a lot of those problems and also gave us the vision that Yokotaro and Kavia and everybody else came up with in the first place. So we got like, and, and it got like a lot of missing content re added. So, although they didn't call that a remake either, it was like between a remaster and a remake, but like it's Yokotaro telling me to go and have a beer with him it's like the same kind of sentence like sentiment i have um but yeah i i love remakes if they're like doing good things and giving us things that you know updating things for a new audience i certainly think that there's a lot of games i never played that i would love to play and if they got remastered or remade i would absolutely jump at the chance like valkyrie profile and f's getting that psp port on ps5 at some point and i'm gonna pick that up even if i have the psp version but you know, it's another way to play it. So it's like, just just keep giving me the old stuff. I'm always happy to see remakes, basically, as long as they're they feel justified. I think, and I I can't think of many reasons where they wouldn't be justified because, like we've already said, the original still exists nine times out of ten. Yeah, and I think that is an important point. Like, um, a remake does not unmake the original version. Um, I, I am very grateful for the uh, for the remakes of Yakuza's one through five available on PS4. Uh, even though that a lot of them had major changes made, they they uh, even removed a LGBT phobic uh, uh, side oh story God. in in uh, in I think one or two of the Yakuza games. Um, and uh, and in in one case, there was an uh, there was an actor who uh, had 
fallen from grace somewhat. So he had an entire, his entire likeness and voice role replaced by another actor. Uh, and then that's not the judgment one. I'm talking about the Yakuza 4 one. Sometimes remakes do make major changes that could affect someone's perception of a game. But a lot of the time it's not making it worse. It, it's like, like, and, and it doesn't undo the original. So I, I, the reason I made this question about remakes come up was because I just noticed that when I'm doing my top five or top eight list of the year or something like remakes are always on it just because they're a normal part of the video game release cycle now. And most of the time when a remake of something I'm interested in pops up, I'm, I'm interested and grateful uh, to play it. Or if it's something I've already played before, like the uh, trials of mana remake in 2020, I was just excited to experience an old favorite in a new way. Uh, so yeah, uh, I wasn't trying to like accuse anyone of being anti-remake. I, I, I don't think any of you took it that way. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I just think it's sort of weird how um, video games are so used to remakes when it's much that's much less the case in other in other media. Even though there's a lot of movie remakes, there's probably even more video game remakes. But uh, we're not going to remake this discussion anymore. Uh, Alana, we have only two left, so you don't have much to choose from. So what's uh, the next question going to be? I think we'll get Monster done and obviously walk into the maybe clear monster hunter question <laughs> you know what it's a monster that you're much more familiar with um Ooh. other than appearing in many of the same games what do the pokemon tauros heracross mr mime kangaskhan and tropius have in common oh shoot i'll say those five again uh, tauros heracross mr mime kangaskhan and tropius uh is it is it about Pokemon Go and how they're only available in different regions of the world? Each of them is exclusive to a specific continent. Jesus Toro Christ. Tauros is, <laughs> wow. Tauros is only North America. Which Her one plays Her North? <laughs> yeah, Heracross <laughs> is only South and Central America. Mr. Mime is only Western Europe. Kangaskhan is only available in Australia. And Tropius is only available in Africa, except for a few special events where they swarm or have a raid or something i don't know exactly how pokemon go works it is a yep. raid, yeah. uh, i i have most of those now but only after several years because it's very rare that they ever make those available in different regions like when i got a kangaskhan i'm like oh this is exciting yeah over 40 uh pokemon in pokemon go are region exclusive some of them Jesus. like uh like soul rock and lunatone are if each available in in half of the world like they, they each is available in a different hemisphere uh some of them are extremely specific to regions there's a couple that are only in in japan or specific pockets of the world when i first learned about these it was a long time ago where uh i think it was in the rio olympics in 2016 where uh a japanese gold medal gymnast um tried to play pokemon go to get maybe it was a Heracross to get something that he couldn't get in Japan to catch a Pokemon. He couldn't catch in Japan and he ended up running up thousands of dollars worth of data bills because, because of how terrible the, uh, like the the infrastructure of data in Brazil is. But I'm just wondering, like, is, is this okay? Like is continent or region exclusivity. Okay. If it encourages people to travel, that's at least interesting. But if it excludes people that can't travel, uh, from content in a game that doesn't seem fair to me like yeah no i mean we we don't like 
DLC being too expensive. The price of a plane ticket to get a single Pokemon feels a little excessive. I'm going to stretch this out a little bit for the Pokemon company and Game Freak in general. I still think it's stupid that they do two separate versions and lock Pokemon behind games. I know that trading is way more like easy nowadays, but it's just like so obviously like like Pokemon Legends Arceus sold really well despite only having one version. Why do we need to like split them between two different games like nowadays? And I, I feel like the Pokemon company in general has many things that I have criticisms of. And this feels like, especially with how rare the events are, I think it's pretty, pretty bad, honestly. If they were like, if the events were like every four months, then maybe I'd be okay. But I, I don't know. Like, I think like if you want to go traveling, just go traveling. But I also feel like I would not get on a plane ticket to just go and get tropius right like that would be strange but i'm sure people have done that and i'm not judging anyone who has done that i mostly remember tropius as being very useful for being able to take on six hms in the gen 3 games <laughs> right <laughs> yep of course i'm gonna use it as my fly machine yeah it's my fly cut strength and mm. uh, i don't know probably uh i i think it could do all of them except for surf and waterfall i remember Right, I think region exclusivity in general is like I, I we were talking about like games that didn't come out in certain regions and things like that, and I think it's just frustrating in general. Like, do you remember Vivalon, um, Gen Six Butterfly that had a different like design depending on where it came from? So like, if it came from like Australia, it would have a different pattern on its wings, and America and South America and Asia and Japan and China and india and every like certain parts of africa like there were like 18 different designs for it which is a cool way of doing it i suppose but yeah it's that's like, cool because it's not yeah. locking people out of getting the pokemon it's, right it's, it's it's just visual interest I, yeah. I i i um i didn't even think of the element of having uh pokemon having separate versions since 1996 but uh th that is that's sort of related like um <sighs> I, I think that we've probably, uh, forgive me for using this verb, evolved beyond needing two versions of a Pokemon game. <laughs> um, because it's it's really just locking pieces of content away from people and, requir and requiring them to play a second game to access it. I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not against Pokemon having special events, but I wish that there was less, it was just less a burden on the consumer. And um and 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 traveling to between different continents seemed like a particularly unfair way of doing it. When I when I, when I when I first heard about this, I thought I was a little bit incredulous. Right, I, and I think another example is like special event codes as well are so uncommon, and a lot of times for like Sword and Shield, say, like there'll be a GameStop and certain retailers, but people might not have a GameStop near them, so they can't go and get it unless somebody goes to get it for them and gives them the piece of paper. Right, it's like. There's such a weird, like, special mysticism around certain types of, like, certain like areas of Pokemon that I just think it's a little silly, like, yeah. at this point. 
I, I remember the only way to get a Mew in red, bl red, blue, uh, was to go to Toys R Us on like a special weekend, uh, <laughs> yeah. until until people figured out the glitch for it. It but was the cool then because you had like magazines and things like that, but at the same time, there's still like a level of access to it because magazines aren't cheap, right? Yeah, like... no, but, but then it was brand new, and like the idea of versioning into red and blue or or green, if in the in Japan, was was also pretty new. But I, I, I think now the way to do it would just be to use the mystery gift system. Like, uh, like uh, hey, uh, for the next 14 days, if you press the mystery gift button, you'll unlock a quest to catch, I don't know, Shaman. Like, like th that seems okay to me. But having, like, special events that could inhibit people's enjoyment of a game that are travel-sensitive or require a major, major purchase that, that's, uh, that's limited... I, I wish there was less of that in Pokemon. Like I, I'll never, I have a, um, I'll, I'll never get a Mew in Let's Go Eevee because I, because I think those Pokeballs like cost four hundred dollars on Amazon now. What? Jesus Christ! Wow. Yeah, it makes it less special to me. It's like putting it behind like four different walls, and I'm like, okay, I obviously don't need it if you're going to make me go to that much effort to get it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe that's very like anti <laughs> antithetical to it, but also it's just kind of like. Well, if I'm, if you're not gonna make it like reasonable, then okay, that's fine. It means I can check it off my list as a not to worry. I think there's a way to make things like regional Pokemon feel special without being as exclusive as they have been in the past. Well, the real, the real problem, like I have more to say about it than this, but like the real thing with Go is that you can't, you can only trade locally. If you could yeah. trade with your friends online, like none of that would matter. It's like cool. Like I have a friend in Japan, and then they can't get this, and I can't get this. Like that would that would solve it. Um, that would solve really all of those issues, I think. But uh, yeah, I I think it's weird. Um, like I have a handful of them in Go, especially from like Gen One, Gen Two, because those are the ones that are available. But they're always adding more. Like they added, um, what's the bird? Oricorio. Oh, yeah, yes, um, or Korea. earlier this year and it has four forms and each one is mm -hmm. exclusive to a different part of the world um ours of course is the like the yellow cheerleader one which is like funny um <laughs> but the other ones i think are way cooler like i want the purple one i want the red one but i can't get them so i, I don't know i think it's strange if they did more of the events then that would be fine you know, they had GoFest over the summer, and during GoFest, you could encounter some of them, like Kangaskhan and some other ones. And that's also how you got, that was the first time they had Shaman in the game. So, like, that's fine. It's just, it's kind of weird that you have these, you know, a game about, in part, about collecting and, like, filling out your Pokedex. And there's little medals and stuff in the game. And it's like, just, I have all these little holes in there. It's like, okay, I would love a Chatot. It's a little musical bird, but it's exclusive to, I think, South America or something. And that's it. Like, it's, I've never seen it available anywhere else. Um, but again, if you could just trade, because you can trade online with the other Pokemon games, I, I don't think it would be as big a deal. Although I really think the solution would be now that there's so many, as the games keep getting, newer games get released, they keep in, introducing regional forms. Like, why not just have, regional forms be maybe exclusive so like you're not you don't have this pokemon in your in your pokedex that you can never get you're just like well i have this one i just can't get this version like that would be a little better i think not perfect but a little better oh, okay mike uh 
that's I, I think we've uh, talked about Pokemon regionality enough, but uh, you are up for the last uh, category selection. It's called Massive. And uh, are you ready for the question? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pick Massive. Oh, oh, great, great, great. Okay. Good. I'm glad, glad it worked out. Yeah. Uh, now, this is seems like a simple question. Uh, what online RPG has the most registered users? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm guessing it's still WoW. WoW has about 120 million yeah. registered users. It is not the right Not answer. active players, though. Correct. Registered users, not active players. Ooh, okay. It's not something we're thinking about. Um, it's probably something that is inexplicably still around that no one's heard of in a long time. Is that Star Wars in though? No. EverQuest 2. RuneScape. I was, was going to say EverQuest, <laughs> but... Um, none of those is the right answer. Uh, I, I, this one's a little unfair. Is it okay if I just give it to you? <laughs> um. WoW has about 120 million registered users. Final Fantasy XIV has about 40 million. But uh, the Chinese game Western Journey... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Westward Journey has 330 okay. million. Oh, my God. That, that, that checks out, actually. And, yeah. Uh, and also, like, this question is an, under, is an indirect way of just talking about the Chinese game market, which fascinates me to no end. Um, the, uh, the, there is a Chinese game that is the most popular online game called... Uh, Honor of Kings is the most popular mobile game in the world. It's similar to League of Legends or uh, or Dota Two, uh, but and it, and it's uh, it has revenue in the billions every year, but it's barely mm-hmm. present in the West. And uh, uh, Crossfire, which is a a shooter similar to Counter Strike, has um, somewhere between six hundred million and one billion registered users. It's the most it's the wow. uh, it's the it's the most played video game in the world by some measures. But the crazy thing is. Like it's very unlikely that any of the five of us has played Westward Journey or Crossfire or Honor of Kings, and that's because the Chinese market is somewhat isolated, but just enormous. Like there are so many people that play video games in China, but there was a ban of all video game consoles uh, in China until recently, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the playing in China is done in public arcades or PC cap or net cafes. Uh, and there's and there isn't a lot of like individual ownership of high end machines uh, among the large populace. They did not have access to RPGs that we would consider as like foundational console RPGs for a long, long time. And uh, a a very famous Taiwanese RPG called uh, Legend of Sword and Fairy mm-hmm. has had seven or eight iterations since the early '90s. But the very we're getting the, we. The Western world is getting uh, Legend of Sword and Fairy 7 as the first worldwide release of that series. Uh, we got it earlier this year with a physical version coming next year. So I, I just wanted to pose the question or the topic idea. Uh, what do we think of the Chinese market? Like there is decades of game development over history over there that we're only just starting to see bits and pieces of now that the Great Firewall, as it were, has broken down a little bit. And uh, uh, China is accepting more Western and Japanese-made video games, and we're seeing more Chinese-made video games leaving their very their somewhat insular environment. Uh, so, is anyone as curious as I am about Legend of Sword and Fairy and other Chinese games? Sword and Fairy looks good. Um, the one you talked about, Seven, I've always had an eye on it. Um, I think one of the more unfortunate sides of that is that the English localization is pretty terrible um 
like it's not good like it's like a passable at best translation which is always a shame um but like you were saying like the console ban only just recently lifted like the switch has really only recently just been released there and but there are people have ways of playing things outside like split people are playing and streaming splatoon in china splatoon 3 even though it's not out there um it's a really strange dynamic um well at least to us like that's completely normal to people who live in china um well i mean yeah if, if you think that game or film piracy is normal here it's <laughs> it, it's beyond normal over there it's, it's mm-hmm. a, practically a way of life for fans over there right um it's sadly not really anything i've dug into mostly just for lack of trying to dig into it really um sword and fairy i was aware of before even seven um got localized um I have heard of that MMO, and I'm absolutely not surprised at those numbers, nor at the numbers of the Counter-Strike, like, because, yeah, like, the population of China is, like, vastly more than we could, like, ever imagine, um, or have, like, situated over here. Um, But, yeah, I'm interested, and I haven't really dug into it, and, yeah, just more apologies, because I don't really... I don't know. I haven't just haven't really made the time to look into it myself. Yeah, we don't have a lot of uh, Chinese-made RPGs um, with reviews on RPG Fan. It looks like we, we did um, get a code for Legend of Sword and Fairy Seven uh, uh, that's floating around on our um, on our assignments board, but uh, like I, because I don't think I've ever played a a game from this region, it, it makes me really curious about it. Like, but I'm I'm also just intellectually curious about video games from other parts of the world like uh i don't know if you remember the game um uh, legacy of the Don. that was like that that was I, I think one of the very first rpgs made in africa yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. and uh there was that game a little while ago oh shoot i, I know we all talked about it before chris tales, uh, chris tales right from columbia mm-hmm. i was really interested in that and there's a uh there's a metroidvania game that just finished its kickstarter campaign recently uh, called Mandragora that is that is made in Hungary and just because these games are made in Colombia or Hungary or or Africa makes me more interested in them because they're a, a region of the world that I've never visited and I, I want to know what kind of and these people have played RPGs and are inspired by RPGs I probably have played I, I just find that so fascinating so I there is a real danger that I will impulse by Legend of Sword and Fairy 7 um, um bad translation or no sometime in the in the next several months oh yeah definitely wasn't for like discouraging um i'm sure that like as we get more of these like international developed games and things that like interest in them will grow and the market will grow as a result like you know you only have to look at like how many books we've read or are available from different countries or films that are directed and produced in different countries and see how those mediums have grown as a result and how rich those mediums have gotten as a result from having media from all around the world. But it's interesting how a lot of the narrative people assume is still like English, white speaking, Western developed Western stuff. Um, in some ways, like it's absolutely not true. Like if you do any basic like film or literature research, you know that like a lot of the richness of those mediums comes from all sorts of different countries. Um, and I hope that that video games goes the same way as well. Um, I also think, a lot of the video game market in general consumers 
have a lot of negativity towards China as well. Like you often, oh, yeah. s- it's it's pretty terrible to see, especially like people interacting with like you know Tencent and anything like that. And there are some companies that absolutely do, you know, throw money around and buy out other companies. You know, like didn't the Yakuza former Yakuza guy just go over to one of the Chinese companies? Uh, yeah, right? correct. The um the founder, the the creator of Yakuza, yeah. who also, who also uh, uh, was the lead producer of Daytona USA and Super Monkey Ball and other stuff. He uh, <laughs> he he joined a uh, a new studio founded by NetEase, which is a, a right. which is a a Chinese tech giant. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't want to even like drill down onto the like bigger conglomerates in those countries, but more like the smaller companies, like how we're getting smaller indie developers, like even Ukrainian developers who are making video games like as best as they can in the midst of what's going on, and you've got like you know the Corridor, uh, the one you spoke about earlier, and Chris Tales, and plenty of other things, but also we as a western in the western world also need to start making games more available in more languages i would say like on the flip side like we need to employ in localization and stuff like that to make sure that our games are accessible like there are some you know talking about ports and remakes earlier uh what just got remade recently or ported recently i don't remember it might have been trails trails from zero that got its first english release but also like it got releases in like chinese simplified chinese french german spanish italian all sorts of things and it's like we also need to like give that accessibility back in a way i suppose um to everyone chinese is difficult but yeah that hungarian game i mentioned a little while ago when i was checking out its uh, kickstarter page it, it it even made a point to say it was going to be available in 11 languages at launch and yeah. I, just, I, I just thought that was so cool like like i I want to play games from all over the world and see as many perspectives as I can because this is the this is the hobby that I'm most invested in and I I just like hearing like seeing stuff from all around the world. I, I should mention that one of the games I mentioned, Honor of Kings, they that uh, that mobile game that's the most popular mobile game in the world. They are making an effort to have it get a worldwide release this year. I think they're already sort of ro- rolling it out, as it were. And uh, this is speculation, but a lot of people are saying that the only reason that's happening at all is because uh, Genshin Impact made a huge impact mm-hmm. <laughs> over the pa- over the past several years, and that that is a, a, a Chinese made game. Yeah. Um, that even has some controversy because they're you're not allowed to say some things in that game that are by, banned by the Chinese media. Oh, like, yeah. Like any, like any mention of the Hong Kong protests or Taiwan as a sovereign state. Like that's that, that those are two reasons that that uh, Alanda mentioned that maybe people aren't very favorable towards Chinese made things recently. I guess it's like China China's relationship with video games is a little fraught, but. I'm just really interested, and I, I wasn't kidding when I said I might I might uh, try to check out Legend of Sword and Fairy uh, sooner rather than later, even if it's a pirated version of one of the '90s ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Order, um, Order reviewed the most recent one, so you should go check it out. Um, when it came back on out on consoles last year, um, it it's a second port this one, so yeah. Yeah, I think it maybe it was like a PC only before, but I, I definitely saw a 2023 PS4 release, uh, phys- physical release. I don't specifically know a lot about the Chinese market either, but the everything else we talked about, like the worldwide and different developers, I think is, I, I just wanted to chime in and also say how much I enjoy that. Like all these online game festivals we've been, you know, having the last several years, like 
you hear you, I've learned so much about different developers, like all these tiny, even like one or two person teams from, you know, countries that you never associate with like game development. And, um, you know, you just, you didn't hear about them before, even if I'm sure they were out there, you know, maybe they were just making small PC games, but you wouldn't have seen them at E3 or any big thing. So all these online events have let them like, you know, you get to see these people now and see all these games from these really interesting backgrounds and, you know, actually, I, I checked the schedule too. Like when this episode goes up, is the same day, or at least the same week, at the very least, that the the day of the devs presentation is happening, which is another like big collection presentation of like indie dev devs, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of there too, um, from all around the world. But but, but yeah, like uh, the the Chinese market is something that we almost never think about as uh, as all five of us being from the west but it's it's so huge that i think it's a maybe not a mistake to ignore it but it's a it's a little it's a little weird to so easily ignore it that is all 12 questions that i prepared today uh so um thanks thank you all four of you west zach alana mike for uh for indulging me and um and going through all through all these questions uh I, I said there was going to be no winner, but no, the real winner is Alana. Thank you so much for uh, being on your first Retro Encounter episode in over six months. It was a, it was a joy to talk to you again, Alana. No, oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me come back for three fifty. I I, uh, I I did specifically reach out to you because I thought that it would be really fun to talk to you again, and uh, thank you for being so generous with your time. But that, that, it's also true of uh, West Zach and Mike. Thanks so much for um sh like sh sharing. The 350th episode of Retro with me. That's uh, 350 is a lot of episodes. Uh, we've been on the air for right around seven and a half years. It's been a long time since May of 2015, but uh, now we're 350 deep. I mean, no, uh, so, I appreciate being here. Wouldn't have missed it. Uh, but you know, I, I said there was only 12 questions. I, that was a little bit of a lie. Um, I have one final question. For each of you, uh, so we can take turns answering, um, and uh, and you know, give me your answer and also maybe a one or two sentence explainer. Uh, the question is, what is an an RPG you would like to see played for a retro encounter in twenty twenty three? And we'll go down the same order that we were using before, starting with you, Wes. Well, I had to pick what is, in my opinion, maybe the the best, certainly the best JRPG on the Xbox 360. I've I've got to go with Lost Odyssey. Um, that was almost my choice, but then I was like, I bet Wes is going to pick that. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it. You knew it. Well, not only is it you know a project put together by uh, a lot of the former heads of Final Fantasy, it's also got uh, a lot of the crew from Shadow Hearts working on the battle system. So it kind of combines two very great <laughs> great loves. Um, but it's a lot of people call it, you know, the real FF 13, which is something I take some on bridge with, but it is really evocative of classic final fantasy in a more modern age. Um, and the, the dreams integrated throughout there are just beautiful, just beautiful pieces of writing. All right. Now, Zach, what is your choice for this question? I'm going to go a little more retro, um, and, uh, say breath of fire two, um, which, is a game that uh, I'm not actually entirely sure I want to replay because of the random encounter rate in that game is atrocious. Uh, but, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I remember really, really loving Breath of Fire 2. It was the first game that I played where, like, 
religion was like being like in some ways like heavily criticized and you know i know now it's like everyone's like god's the bad guy in every jrpg and i I know that was not the first game but it was the first one where it really connected with me i remember liking the story a lot um and just really getting into it i played it a bunch of times and i'd love to go back to it i think maybe I, I I'm I'm I also have hesitation about going back to that game, but I, I think it is available on the Switch Online Pass. Sure is. I yeah, think it is. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I've been playing it would, on there. Yeah, so <laughs> okay. that would be that would be a much easier way to play it than to find a working Super Nintendo. Uh, so yeah, good on Capcom for making that available to a modern audience. Like we've mentioned it for something like three or four of those twelve questions. But uh, Alana, what is your choice for a game you would like to play in twenty twenty three for Retro Encounter? Oh, well, this is kind of the second mention of Shadow Hearts, but specifically Shadow Hearts from the New World, the third game, or the fourth game in the wider Shadow Hearts series, I suppose. Um, so I picked Shadow Hearts Covenant as my very first anniversary game episode, and we managed to play it because it won that poll. So this is partly me going, hey, look, I'm back. Let's pick another Shadow Hearts game. And this rounds out the main trilogy, Kudelka, notwithstanding one day it will come on the show at some point but also because i replayed it a year or two after replaying covenant for like the fourth time and actually i didn't like it the first time i played it but on the replay i actually saw like all the improvements it made over covenant i still don't like the story as much but i think the battle system is better i think mal the cat is wonderful i think ricardo is wonderful i think has some really fun stupid ideas and I think it's a really interesting game to discuss, given Shadow Hearts' weird timey-wimey timeline, especially given like one and two and how disconnected three is in some ways from that narrative, but also like has some links. Um, so I think it would be really fun, given that you know uh, Penny Blood is uh, fully funded, or um, we should have a look and see how the Shadow Hearts series ended. Now, Alana, it's funny that you mentioned Penny Blood, which is, you know, the recent Kickstarter uh, uh, successor. <laughs> um, Mike, what's your answer for a for a 2023 game we might want to play for Retro Encounter? Uh, mine was Wild Arms, because that is a game I've been really wanting to get through for a long time, and I've had way too many false starts. I, I started on the PlayStation, and then the... I got the like the downloadable like the PlayStation Store version. I played it on my PSP for a while, and I've always gotten a few hours in, and then I get caught up like customizing my menu icons and just sitting there drawing for hours. And then um, I know I've played past that, but like point is like it's a pretty at least to me it's a pretty important early PS One RPG, and I'd really like to go through and actually finish it because. I really like the vibe and how interesting it is. And of course the music too. So I, that's one of those ones I have to rectify. All right. And it's uh, my turn. You, you, uh, listeners, maybe you've noticed that I have a recent fascination with souls games. I played uh, Sultan sanctuary for the podcast uh, in March. Then while I was on break, I played the original, I, I, the remake of demon souls um, on my PS five. I want to get into the souls games I'm really close, so I'm going to try and uh, make an excuse to do that in 2023 and suggest that we play Bloodborne. <sighs> yeah. The uh, the action-heavy, um, gothic, blood-soaked uh, action RPG with a lot of cool weapons, a lot of grotesque enemies, 
but some action that uh, is really, really intriguing and compelling to me. So uh, my choice is Bloodborne. And why do you say? Why did I use the the term choice rather than answer? That's because all five of these games are going to be on a poll that I'm going to keep up for around ten days following the release of this episode. Uh, <laughs> so our choices are Lost Odyssey, Breath of Fire Two, Shadow Hearts from the New World, Wild Arms and Bloodborne. Uh, you, the listeners, will be void- voting on these games over the next 10 days, and the winner of that poll will be a Retro Encounter Game Journal t- double episode sometime in 2023. Uh, probably not January. I'm, I'm going to see exactly how it fits into the schedule, but um, the winner of that poll will have two episodes, and I will suffer through it even if it is a Capcom RPG from my youth that I sometimes... Have, have like feel like have stress dreams thinking about <laughs> that but, is uh, a killer list <laughs> yeah i was gonna say can i just say like how impressive is it that we all managed to pick a game from a different generation yeah like a different console gen all oh, five shoot. of us are you right yeah, yeah you're you ps4 are. ps2 crap, xbox 360 ps1 and super nintendo yeah. yeah that's exactly right that was that was unintentional on my part but yeah so we have a pretty wide variety of genres and tones and consoles to choose from but uh, we will arrive to a conclusion sometime in middle in mid November, and uh, the, and that winner will have two episodes in 2023. But well, let's uh, talk about the nearer future than 2023. Um, we're at the very beginning of November right now, and the rest of November is going to be full of Mass Effect. We had one of our questions be about Mass Effect earlier this episode, but we're having three dedicated episodes on Mass Effects one, two, and three coming in November. Um, uh, Wes, you and I are on are both on those and at the time we've recorded the mass effect one and two episodes yet but not the third one i am going to start that game very very soon so get ready for some uh eager slack messages in the coming weeks cannot wait Uh, i have not played uh engaged with any of the mass effect 3 dlc or really played it at all since 2012 so i am super interested to see how it holds up and what was added since i last tried it but uh also coming uh later in retro encounter we mentioned this uh earlier this episode but we're doing a spoiler cast on xenoblade chronicles 3 which zach you helped run that's true yes and alana was there as well excellent as well as uh we're doing two episodes on xenosaga episode one uh will to power but spoken in german and i'm not going to attempt a german pronunciation of anything and i should also mention we do have one other uh episode planned for december it is maybe our most unhinged episode idea in several years we uh jano and i are going to try to recast several popular rpgs with the muppets um we're gonna uh like just like muppet christmas carol and muppet treasure island replaced uh um bob cratchit and captain smollett with kermit the frog we're gonna try to figure out which final fantasy 6 character is best replaced by kermit the frog uh, just by combining muppets and rpgs two of my passions into an episode that i have no idea how it's gonna go but i'm looking forward to see exactly what happens um so if you have uh, listeners if you have comments for us about xenoblade or xenosaga or mass effect or the muppets or uh, i don't know uh Switzerland, then please email us retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on RPG fans' message boards, visit our Facebook page, RPG Fancom on Twitter and Instagram, um, RPG Fan on, on Discord. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, we have a Twitch channel, something going on almost every day on Twitch. 
please interact with RPG fan however you, you choose to. Uh, we appreciate any interaction or feedback that you can provide. There's also an RPG fan shop. If you go to rpgfan.com slash shop, we have a shop hosted by T Public that uh, has shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, phone cases, pins, all manner of RPG branded things with more to come later. Please, uh, if you are so inclined, visit the RPG fan shop and buy something to your heart's content. Uh, we also have two other fine podcasts, Random Encounter, which is we, uh, bi-weekly and mostly hosted by John O'Logan, and Rhythm Encounter, which is other bi-weekly and mostly hosted by Mike Salbato. That's me. What, what, what's coming up next in, uh, in Rhythm Encounter? Uh, we're still finalizing our poll, so like by the time this goes up, our Castlevania episode will have just posted, and we are still deciding on the next two episodes. Excellent. Okay, well, I, 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 lo- I love uh, listening to Rhythm Encounter and uh, occasionally being a panelist on Rhythm Encounter, so I'm really looking forward to see how those polls turned out, uh, which, I, which, you know, they were internal RPG fan staff polls, but I, I definitely voted, and I'm looking forward to the results. But uh, listeners, if you want to review or provide feedback for Retro, Random, or Rhythm Encounter, uh, do, do so on the podcast listen venue of your choice, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podcruncher, wherever. We love feedback of all kinds. But if you want to give us feedback as individuals and not as a podcast, let's uh, share our individual uh, social media or contact information uh, with the public, starting with you, Zach. Uh, probably the best way to reach me is via email, ZachW at RPGFan.com. You can also find me on uh, RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. Now, Wes. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Iliff. Simple as that. Now, Alana. I am on Twitter as at Alana Hakes. Now, Mike. Uh, best way for me is also email, so it's Mike at RPGFan.com. And now, other Mike. Uh, the way to, best way to find me is probably Twitter. I'm at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoca for Dogs at other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So this was episode 350. I need to probably take a break, like puff down three or four lozenges, and then take a nap. <laughs> Thank you, good night, and good luck.